This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. brand new day all the way from the wastelands of california my name is michael and i look forward to once again serve you those sounds from the underground first time listeners turn on tune in and drop out this in fact is a very very different kind of show a place where we don't feel so alone let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe i do admire you for your curiosity Live and direct. So pleased to be here and seeing all of you in the chat room. Yes, hello to you too. Joining me this evening is a first timer, boys and girls. Mike Beaver is an information technology worker, a computer geek with over 60 contracts stretching over 28 years of professional experience. He, of course, is an amateur ufologist and a contactee. And after the break, the one and only Mr. Michael Horn returns. This time, we will be reading your YouTube comments. And wow, my goodness, this is not one to miss, boys and girls. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Coming through your speakers like a poltergeist, I'm thrilled to be here. As always, I've got goosebumps running up and down my arms yet again. Like a big, happy, dysfunctional family, we have returned, and I'm glad you're here. Now, to those new in attendance, I'm so glad that you have found salvation. You will find just about everything under the sun. Non-stop, unbridled fun. And of course, if you missed last week's episode, on the second half, it was probably the most popular segment, Celebrity Death Pool. Now, don't be shy, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to call in that number, 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724. Now, let's get down to brass tacks. 
and bring in our first guest. And welcome to the program, Charles. I had I had us both on mute there. I apologize. Um, yeah, how how you doing, my friend? Doing good. Yourself? I can't complain. I'm so glad you're here. And I'm just completely curious. How on earth did you find the show? Uh, well, I'm just looking around. You, you were just uh, looking around. Basically, what I do is I listen. Um, you might say I have a uh, particular sub page on my web page that has more uh, links to interviews of, uh, of experiencers, abductees, and contactees on one page. Than so the way I get that many is I listen to them constantly. It's how I entertain myself, and I just I listen to a show, and then I'll add it if I like uh, if I like what I hear. I'll add it to the to the mix, and uh, and then I'll reach out to the interviewers, and that's how I did it. So. Understood. Well, I'm glad you found the show since this is a pretty underground program, after all. So I'm glad you have found your way here. Well, I thank you for having me on the show. The only question I have for you is, well, I assume you want to give me to give you an introduction, and after that, the only question I have is, do you want to drive or do you want me to drive? So that's the big deal. So we'll do a bit of both here. No problem. No problem. I'll let you take over, no doubt. And of course, reading your bio, you've done quite a bit. You're an interesting guy, so I can't wait to get into things here with you. You also worked for Bill Gates at one time. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I actually, uh, yeah, I could say things that would give Perfect, uh, perfect. I, uh, worked right across the street from the same building he worked at the time. Uh, but, you know, people would come over from Japan and especially from Japan countries and they'd want to take a picture of themselves with the big sign of Microsoft, you know, picture. Uh, in front of the building, and that's the building right across from the one I was in. I was actually in the most important building in the whole in the whole company. Uh, if the building that I was in went down, their company stopped. So, uh, it was their servers weren't spread out all over the place like they are now. They're kind of redundant. And that couldn't happen today. But in those days, if that one one building went down, their company would stop functioning. Interesting. Okay. And how long ago was that? Were, were you in your younger years, as they say, when all this was going down, when you were working in the tech industry? Oh, well, I still work in the tech industry. Uh, okay, you're still there. Yeah, I've been uh, touching computers for 41 years. I've been professionally doing it for about 29, and uh, I'm still in it. The thing about contracting is if you're – successful and you have year over year uh gainful employment you're sitting pretty after 29 years but um my employment has been on and off off and on i've struggled i struggled most of my life to make a it world but the thing about it was is i went back and forth from it to movie stunt work to um all kinds of you know i was doing hypnotherapy with uh, I've had one abductee who was used as a breeder for the, one of the gray races. I've had 
clients who had attaching spirits that I helped them remove those. I've had some interesting things as hypnotherapists. So I've bounced between stunt work, hypnotherapy, IT, and, you know, some people collect baseball cards. I collect professions. <laughs> so if we, if we just start talking about things I've done, we, for a long time. We'll be here for a very long time, no doubt. And we, we do have time on our hands, though. So let's go back to your roots. Let's start with mom and dad. Uh, you live with both parents, correct? Uh, at one time, I did, sure. I was a kid. And what were they like? Oh, God. Um, putting you around the spot here. Um, of course, yeah. They... Um, we're a different generation, the greatest generation, you know, or two. My my father uh, started welding. Your, uh, I think he was welding the year the war started, World War II started. He was welding. He was one of the top. He claimed he was one of the top 2% welders in the whole world. He, he was bragging to me one time and said, well, I was one in this one job. He was an independent contractor. And he said he he he. What they would do is they would take a, a pipe and they would cut it up into like four pieces. Then he would have to weld it back together, and then they would test it, stress test it, to see if the welds were good. And they would treat it a certain way after they welded it to make it solid. He said just just test it, don't treat it. So he was uh, conf- very confident in his talent. So he had connections into. NASA, and he got me a private meeting with Alan L. Bean, the first resident astronaut in the state of Texas. And he knew the he knew the guy who created NASA. Um, I met the guy one time, but it's another story. But a lot of people think that Lyndon Baines Johnson created NASA, but he didn't. All he did was sign a piece of paper to have NASA created. And the guy who actually did the work is the guy I'm talking about. Um, I've yet to meet a person who ever, ever knew who the, I'm talking about was. I know he's not fiction because he got me that meeting and he, I met him and all this good stuff. And he told me, he actually told me a, a secret. Uh, I should probably tell it to you. That'd be cool. Um, so um, I got a tour of the most secret building in all of NASA. I was eight years old and that was uh, building four. It's the astronaut quarters building at the LBJ plant, Lyndon Bates Johnson, uh, the the one, uh, the control center, right, south of Houston, right. Mm-hmm. So this is the building that the astronauts actually live in, sleep and everything. So in this tour, we went into this one room. It's the, a film room. They sit and watch films. It's a long room and it's thin, but one side, you have three pictures of astronauts that died, the three that died on the, uh, the pad that burned up, right? And on the other wall, you had four pictures, right? And these other four astronauts were supposed to have died uh, jet accidents. But the fellow who got me that tour of the building, meeting with Alan Abin, he told my father, and my father told me that there was a suborbital flight burned up on launch that nobody ever knew about. It was a secret flight that uh, I have yet to find a person to confirm this story, but father told it to me like it was real. And I assume it was two of the people 
the photos were on the other wall of the four guys. Two of them died in jet trainer accidents and two died in that secret launch. It was never supposed to reach orbit, but uh, nobody's ever, that's a secret, still a secret today. <laughs> yeah, I've never knew that before. I've never heard that's that actual, either. That's an actual national secret. Interesting. Yeah, you've lived a very interesting life, and I'm wondering how on earth did you get involved in a stunt work? That's an easy one. Um, I was uh, one of the first jobs I ever had. I was working for a little fabric uh, place, um, and what I I was a shipping and receiving clerk. So I would roll fa- – when you buy fabric to make draperies with, um, when you order it and what they do is they go in the warehouse and they go in, uh, around to the shelves and they pull off these um, bolts of fabric, put it in a bin, roll it over to a light table, throw it on the light table, and you roll it over the light table. And it you look at the flaws. And you're uh, looking for flaws, and then you mentally give extra fabric to so that people can cut around the flaws, right? So I was doing that in this warehouse. I was rolling fabric. This guy walks in the door. He was his mother made uh, draperies and blinds for people, custom draperies and blinds, and he was the gopher, right? He was also a stuntman, right hand of David Stutter Sanders, who was the head of Houston Stuntmen's Association. He was there to pick up some fabric for his mother, and we got into a conversation. and And he needed photos for his portfolio. I was a photographer, and as a an amateur photographer, so I took photos. They let me become part of the team because I could take photos of all their um, uh, all their stunts for their portfolios. And I was also a um, red belt. I, Chuck Norris, his brother Aaron. And his best friend, my instructor, Ed Young, tested me for my black belt in 81. Um, he was going to pass me. His brother talked him out of it. And um, anyway, I got to do martial arts as part of the team. And high, um, most dangerous stunt I ever did, I did a flying sidekick off a two-story racquetball court in wow. Ohio, Ohio Ranch in West Texas. And, uh, is there footage of this? Uh, well, it's in the movie. Well, which movie? I think that was beneath the hidden jungle. Uh, if you go to my, are you on my website? I'm not currently. Okay. So if you were to go to my website, uh, profoundstates.com, there's no www. And on the right side, the second top link underneath the tabs is, um, link for the Houston Stuntman's Association. It has my full bio, my film bio there. And I believe that was uh, Beneath the Hidden Jungle. It's a, it was, yeah, Beneath the Hidden Jungle, Sam Piper Productions. That was a um, 3D film. Uh, where Do you know how they shoot 3D? They have two, two cameras beside each other video cameras and so you get the, the three dimensions that way so um that's what that was it was a 3d video uh based movie so low budget um 
Anyway, the Wild Ranch is a place where people go to shoot big animal games, like um, stuff that you really don't want to see get killed. But they import them and shoot them on the ranch. So. By the way, in the chat room, a listener there wants to know if you ever met Jackie Chan. Never. Uh, I, see, here's the thing. I was not successful as a stuntman. I did good work, but I was not brave enough to go and spend the time in Hollywood. You weren't crazy enough. Well, David, the head of the Houston Stuntman's Association, he went to Hollywood and spent a year there, and he was a roommate with the guy who was the assistant stunt coordinator for Cop 2. I was working on a job one day, and I got a call to work do some stunt work on RoboCop 2. And I turned it down because I thought I didn't want to lose my job. I could have told my employer, hey, I got an emergency. I got to run. That's what I should have done. That would have been the smart move. But I was stupid. I was uh, loyal to my employer. And I said, you know, I can't, I don't want to lose my job. You know, you want me to, he wanted, they want me to run down and do the stunt immediately. You know, I lost that job the next day. <laughs> Regular job. I see. Not the stunt job. I turned down a stunt job, keep a job, and then end up losing that job the next day. You know, so you get the good luck and the bad luck. And sure. I've had I've had some very very odd luck over the years. It seems like it. It seems like it. And of course, going back to uh, your earliest roots here, were you raised in a religious family, a, a regular type of? household where religion is something that is a part of the family, as you know? Well, not really. My parents were social, socially religious. I see. They, uh, I was brought up as a Lutheran, and so I was taken to church and learned all the uh, Christian ways, but neither of my parents were religious. They did it because it was the thing to do in those days. You didn't not go to church. So it was, it was done for social reasons and they were not truly religious people. So, so yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. And I got a very random question for you here out of left field. I just wanted your opinion. Yeah. Do you, do you think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself? Uh, well, I don't – you saw the 60 Minutes piece, right? I did. Okay, so the guy pointed out that it's – well, my wife pointed out. My wife is a, used to be a, a private investigator, and worked, she's worked for some of the best lawyers in the, in the country. Um, and she pointed out that uh, – and I think they may have pointed out on the show too that uh, – the strangulation marking does not match the sash, and I think they might have pointed that out on the show too. But you know, it, it's a little too small sash. It was like probably done with a ligature. Like the guy that was, do you remember Phil Schneider, uh, the guy that was talking about the deep underground military bases? Oh yes, uh, Phil Schneider for him, sure. Right, they found him strangled to death. Well. Uh, I think that's probably what got Epstein. They probably did a ligature thing. But the thing about it was some of the obvious things were 
fact that they disturbed the crime scene, didn't take any photo, took the body out, and take any photos of anything until the body was removed from the room. Like, uh, why do? How, when does a warden of a prison not know the law? That's his job to know the law. It's very strange. It's everything around it is very odd. The fact that they lost the first attempt of suicide, that footage is now gone. It's just rather strange that all this is just missing. Very much like the first moon walk, that's well, uh, all of a sudden gone as well. Have you have you read uh, the stuff on the web about Epstein and his connections? There's a there's some links on the web that are that I've read some stories that were done by certain uh, reporters that are off the wall interesting. I've got links to them on my website. My website, if it's interesting, my website links to it. I I spend all, every day watching the best newscasts in the world. Um, by the way, do you know who the best reporter is in the world? Who, in, in your opinion? That's another question that I did want to eventually get into with you in terms of media and who on earth could we actually believe, especially now in 2020, New Year, uh, everyone's happy, um, everyone seems to sort of, sort of raise an eyebrow at all media outlets nowadays. And I've always liked RT. And it's kind of unusual because I never used to, but now it seems like they've been kind of the actual credible ones as of late. Maybe that's just my opinion. Um, what's your take on all of this? Well, I watch two broadcasts every day. I watch C um, NBC Nightly News. But the one that I really like the best is Amy Goodman's Democracy Now! Do you listen? Do you watch it? I don't believe I do. Okay, so um, I think it's, I don't know if it's www.democracynow.com or not, but I, I'm assuming that's the name of their website. But I, if you look at my, go to my page and click on the change tab at the top and then click on change news, there are news and featured content on the top of my change page. Most of that stuff on that page, it's a very long set of links, is mostly her stuff. Now, there's a lot of stuff on there that's not, but it's almost, it's like 90, 95% her stuff. Are, are we talking she, about democracynow.org? Yeah. That's oh, okay, it. okay. So, um, uh, anyway, uh, she's on the radio too, but you can't get her here in Georgia. Georgia's a fairly right wing state. So you can't get her on TV here in Georgia, but I just watch her on Roku every day. There's a Democracy News. You have Roku. Just add the Democracy News channel. You'll be able to watch her on TV. And how, what what do you identify as uh, politically, if you do oh, at all? Well, I'm um, – where do I put this? I'm the whole spectrum and – I'm far, far left and far, far right combined. I'm a socialist uh, libertarian. So you're a bit of you're kind of like a radical. Well, to their eyes, if you took the, the political spectrum and made it into a circle, I'd be in one spot. I see. The far left and the far right <laughs> yeah. would meet meet up at, at some point. But um, I over the years I've liked uh, people like uh, Ron Paul, 
And Rand is a, uh, a okay version of Ron. I like him, but I think you will agree with me on this one that he doesn't really have that same charisma as the old man. He doesn't have the credibility of his father. Yeah, well, I'm not going to argue with that. You got okay, me so <laughs> um, his father didn't take anything from anybody. And when he was up on stage with all the other Republicans, I just felt like he was the only guy up there telling the truth. And I don't know why I thought that. Maybe uh, it was just hook, snookered by him. I don't know. It, it just seemed like he was the only guy telling the truth. He wasn't right, right. trying to tell people what they wanted to hear. He was just saying what he felt like saying. And I like Bernie. I'm a Bernie, big Bernie fan, too. I think if Bernie ran for president and his vice president was Ron Paul, I think he would win hands down. Because that would be killer, he'd, yeah. He'd get all the left-wing votes, and he'd also get a lot of right-wing votes. True. That would be pretty interesting to have those two combine there. And uh, speaking of uh, Democrats and Republicans, what's your take on the next election? Will Trump be around? Well. Uh, yeah. I did you see uh, Michael Moore's? Uh, you haven't. You don't watch Democracy Now. So, what you need to do is you need to go uh, and watch Michael Moore's interview on Democracy Now. He predicted Trump. Michael Moore is far left, right? I believe so. But he, he predicted Trump would win. He was right. He predicts he'll win again. So. Um, no, he's he's a Bernie fan, but but he still predicts Trump will win. Now, back in the day, uh, Bernie, according to the polls, was would beat the heck out of Trump if women in the right party would let him be the candidate. But today, he's he's the number one Democrat polls. But um, I don't know. I mean, if you're promising free uh, college and free health care, that's a hard-to-beat combination. The old, older people want the free health care, and the younger people want free college. And and everybody everybody who's not a one-percenter probably wants free health care. So yeah, I have a question for you. How, do, how is it that, uh, that Oregon can afford free health care all the other states cannot? What has Oregon got? income that no other state has that's my question how can they do it nobody else can do it that's a good question well i don't think they have higher taxes than any other state and um though there's some states like texas and florida that don't have income tax um I don't think Oregon has sales tax. But the only the only people I know in Oregon, to be completely honest with you, they grow marijuana, and that's as much as I know, to be honest with you. Well, marijuana has been the number one crop in the United States. Oh yes, since, since long before anybody even realized that it was the number one crop. So, um, but I lived in Oregon, and my wife got free health care, and. Um, if you're working for a school district, your health care is off the charts good. Not, you know, might have really good health care, but I think free health care is a necessity. Do you recommend living in Oregon? Um, no, not really. Uh, I think that they have the best, they have the, I could be wrong. I believe that they have the largest municipal, uh, park in this, in the country. And 
if you're going to go from one end of uh, the city park in Oregon to the other end of that park, you're going to have to have a backpack and sleep overnight unless you're in really, really good shape. That park is humongous. And it's gorgeous, too, because it's so wet up there that the, the greenery is like super green moss and all this stuff. Uh, the park is just gorgeous. Yeah, that's what I like and, about Oregon when I look at photographs. Everything is so green. And, of course, uh, Oregon State, or Oregon, rather, uh, I, I do like uh, college football. Well, yeah, I got out of football a time ago. You're done I, with it. I was my, – my father liked the Cowboys, and I was a Cowboy fan when I was young. But after my father uh, left us – I you, I was okay. never really a, a football fan. I see. So except you, for when when the fact old, that he was he was yeah. So you watched with the old man then. Yeah, I see. And, uh, and after I got out of it, you know, I still am a was a cowboy cheerleader fan. As far as the as far as the game, the last thirty years I've only watched two games. I watched the uh, Super Bowl just because I was in the mood one night. And I watched another game because there was a um, a neighborhood a neighbor of mine had a son who was getting his PhD in physics. And I don't I rarely get to talk to people smart, so I wanted to have a conversation with him. And I walk, when I walked in the room, I was watching a game. So I've watched those two games in the last thirty years. But other than that, I haven't watched football. I don't blame you. It hasn't been the same in many years. Well, I think the the game I would like to see take off is uh, uh, Ultimate Frisbee. Ultimate Frisbee? You ever played Frisbee? Not since I was in junior high. But it was fun. Real fun. I lo- I loved it, yeah. What did you what what did you just play between a couple you and another person just throwing it back and forth? No, we had teams way back in junior really? high. Ultimate, yeah. ultimate teams? Ultimate Frisbee, yeah. Just a few teams we played amongst each other back in, I think that must have been like 7th and 8th grade, but I still remember that because that was the thing to look forward to every morning. Well, mixed ultimate teams are the only sport that I know of where the women and men can compete side by side and the women get get to be showing themselves on a man's team and uh, where they're not the oddball out. And you, there are people diving side to side. It, the, I've only seen one ultimate game that was really exciting, and they were using – have you ever heard of the hammer throw? I have, yes. Okay, so a lot of your listeners probably don't know what the they hammer throw is. They probably don't. So the hammer throw is a sidearm throw. So if you're throwing Frisbee like you normally throw, you throw from your body out. And then a side throw is from away from your body in and the opposite direction. And then a hammer throw is that same sidearm, but it's from your ear down. So it basically spins up and over your opponent. And no matter how tall your opponent is or how high they can jump, there's no way to defend against it. And I watched a game one time where every single person on both teams knew the hammer throw. So it was like a lot of, it was a very fast moving game. But ultimate's not that exciting to me. I prefer freestyle. And my partner, my former partner in Texas was three time Texas state female frisbee champion, Carla Vargas. And she could, 
sit down on her rear and spin all the way over on her back, literally do a flip and come up with it still spinning on her. And her other partner was was a world champion one year. On one of the world championship teams, winning teams. Let me ask you something sort of controversial since we are talking about sports and you brought up men and women playing along each other. Um, what's your take on transgender athletes? Well, I, I really hadn't thought about it much, but um, I don't, don't know that I have a take on it. I, um, How do I put this? Should men be I, competing with other women in their sport? Should men be competing with other women in their sport? Well, eventually, well, essentially, rather, that's what they are biologically. A man. Well, okay, so isn't the, I think some of the uh, tennis players are like that, you know, where they were um, some of the best players. You kind of wonder about them because of the muscle structure. But um, I, I don't know how to answer that question to be to be honest, because um, I'll look at every, uh, how do I put this? The way I look at reality is, you know, a lot of people don't believe in God. Sure. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm on the opposite end of the scale. I don't believe in non-God. I think that everything exists is God. And the whole of creation is a, is a, um, an atom inside the heart of God. So, you have an unlimited number of universes, an unlimited number of planes of existence, an unlimited number of realities. It's totally unlimited, but it's all within the creator. And the creation is a subset of the creator. So if you look at it from that perspective, it, I have a, I think there's a quote on one of my web pages. Um, here, I'll go to it now. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, hold on one second. Take me about two seconds. Uh, well, it's not there. Okay. So anyway, there's a quote somewhere on my website. Can't remember where that right off the top of my head, but, um, it basically says, uh, my religion is love and I live where I, where our practice is in the heart of every person and Basically, it's almost a new agey type of thing, except uh, the new age isn't quite right either. But, but uh, my point is an answer to your question, a really long way of answering it. And that is that if you deprecate anybody, any being, uh, beyond the absolute necessity to do so, you're basically pissing on God. You're amazing. Cre- you're creating karma on yourself. That's like really don't sort of thing. Anytime you deprecate, you, okay, how do I put this? Energy is circular. It goes out the front. It comes in your back. It goes around. It comes back in. The external and the internal are one and the same. If you give out what it, that negative energy of any type to any person, any being, you're receiving that also because the internal and the external are one and the same. You are the external. You are the internal. They have like it's kind of like uh, you want you think the external is separate from you. No, that's not true. You're if you've ever you probably never done this, but you can switch timelines. You can go from this timeline to another one to another one to another one. 
And it's not timelines in the sense you think, well, in this one, the Nazis won, this one, they didn't. It's not that kind of timeline. It's like, it's hard to explain, but there's a lot of obvious things are different in each one. But, you know, you can get loosened from one and get pulled into another and go round and round. But eventually your desire, the way you're, what you're, what you want in life, pulls you back to your original timeline automatically because that's where you're supposed to be based on your desires. Your desire creates your reality and your reality is part of you, the external and your internal. There really is no separation. It's not a philosophical thing, just a fact. But you're never going to know that from an experiential standpoint unless you get uh, go through some freaky, weird experiences like I have. So the reason why I knew, know this is because I did the ayahuasca several times in uh, in Iquitos, Peru. Do you know where the? Do you know which city in the world is the largest city in the Amazon rainforest in any country? You know which city that is? I don't know. I just said it. It's Iquitos. That's where it is. I Q U I T O S. So I went to Iquitos, Peru, did the ayahuasca three times, and uh, I wouldn't recommend it. You did ayahuasca three times. Yeah, so oh my God. what it did was it it um, expanded my consciousness, right? But it didn't expand it. It didn't make me more enlightened. It made me more psychic. And it expanded it down, not sideways and up and then a fully circular motion direction. It just went expanded it down so it's like tuning a radio to a slightly different frequency and you're still in the same frequency but the signal comes in a little weaker or whatever so you start seeing things and the things you're seeing are not hallucinations they're they're real but they're like you're like a super psychic so what i was seeing was um like one of the things I would see was I would see people in certain – there was like five or six events where I – or days where I was um, looking at people's eyes and their eyes would be moving around in their head really fast. And I was looking at their – like their astral body or their causal body or their mental body or some part of their spirit that was not their physical body. But I couldn't tell it wasn't their physical body. but uh, visually, it looked like it was their eyes actually doing that, but I knew that their eyes weren't actually doing that you know, on some level. But what I was doing was uh, people whose eyes were doing that, they have attaching spirits. Like, I have a couple of attaching spirits, and most people have two or more attaching spirits. And I was seeing, I could tell, you know, I could be in one situation and everybody has their eyes doing that. Another situation, it was like one out of three or four people. So it just depends on the situation you're in. But uh, How old were you at this point, by the way, when you took ayahuasca for the very first time? Uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was like three or four years ago. Oh, that's pretty recent then, my friend. Yeah, so for two years, I was op- very, very, very open psychically. But when I say that, you th- probably thinking, well, I'm more like a psychic, but that's being open psychically, the level that I'm speaking of is not the same as being a psychic. It's different. It was, 
explain. Okay, so for, I'll give you an example. My wife and I would be laying in bed, half asleep and half awake. And, and this was in uh, Manassas, Virginia, right? And there would be like somebody set off a grenade in the living room. I mean, a very loud explosion, right? And my dogs would jump up and start barking their heads off, right? It's not something that's happening in my head. This is something happening external to me, right? And we would hear like, I would hear like, uh, like somebody was knocking on the wall. Now, over the years, my wife and I have had tons of paranormal experiences, both before we met and after. And so, uh, we were used to hearing knocking on, you know, paranormal knocking on the walls and stuff like that. But this was not that. This was something different, louder and like something was trying to get in. Right. So when you expand downward and you can see the darker realms, the darker can also see you better, too. So it's trying to come to you. I think we're uh, going to I think we might have to back up a little bit here because your wife plays a very vital role in all of this. You both had some very unusual experiences. I think we might have to backpedal just a little bit in terms of the wife. I, I did want to ask you, where on earth did you meet this woman? Well, I met her at a um, at an Ekinkar. You know how you go to church? Sure, yeah. Okay, have you ever heard of Ekinkar? That I haven't. Okay, so Ekinkar is a very esoteric religion. Most people have never heard of it. I've met people who were uh, religious scholars, and they'd never heard of it. Yeah. But. Uh, Ekankar is a religion whose the head, the current head of it was a former CIA agent. Uh, it's mm. a global religion and, um, it's not something I necessarily wish to deprecate, but it's not something, you know, I got out of it, but. Is this a cult? Were you a part of a cult, Charles? No, no, it's not a cult. It, it, it's just a very different religion. Okay. And some people might consider it a cult, mm. but it, I don't consider it a cult, but. Uh, that would all depend on your definition of a cult. So I see. Um, so what you do when you're when you're an echist, what you do is you go to church, go to church, and you're in a room. And what they do is they'll they'll make talking circles, and everybody will sit around and like could be two, three, four, six, eight, or even one talking circle, right? Depending on how many people are in the room. And they'll put out a topic. Every Sunday it's different. Topic is something like uh, some deep question. What is the meaning of love? Some, some, you know, a deep spiritual type of question. And it changes every single week, right? They put this question out and every person in the circle gives their wisdom about that topic based on their experience. Instead of listening to one person give you their take on the world, everybody gets to tell their own take of what the, what is the wisdom of of, of uh, whatever creation and uh, it's not one person giving it out to the group so from that perspective it's quite different by the way how do you spell that religion e-c-k-a-n-k-a-r yeah somebody wanted to know in the chat room Ekinkar. c-k ek is means e-c-k means spirit a-n-k they are, yeah, I can car. And this was not a cult at all, right? 
Well, I don't consider a cult the next person, a a Christian person might. So, you know, I'm just saying I don't consider a cult. I see. And now there are people, there are people who've gotten out of it who deprecated quite a bit. So talk to the next person, they might consider it a cult. And what do you identify with now, Charles, in terms of religion? I don't. Nothing at all. You're. Not religious, nothing like that. Uh, do you know? Do you know who the mystic? Po- know the any of the mystic poets? I can't say I do at this moment. So you don't know who Rumi is? I don't think so. No. Okay, so there's Rumi is the most famous mystical poet that's ever lived. Mystical poet. Poet. A, po- a, a mystic who writes poetry. Oh, okay. And, uh, so do you know what a mystic is? Sure do. Okay, so. Rumi is the most famous mystic who's ever lived. And then after him would be, well, as far as poetry, and uh, there's Rumi, there's Kabir, and there's Khalil Gibran. And there's a whole bunch of others that, I'm, that you know, if you talk to a poet, they'll list off 20 or 30 or 100 poets. But as far as the the mystic poets that I know of, those are the only three. I'm sure there's plenty of others. but uh, give me the, what you think is the definition of a mystic. What I think the definition of a mystic is. Short and in one sentence, very short sentence. Wow, you're now you're putting me on the spot. Well, it is somebody who desires to be one with God more than they desire love to eat. I thought it was much more of a spiritual sort of. No, it, it's a person who desires to be one with God more than they desire desire to eat, to love, to to breathe, to do anything. Their their number one desire on earth, period, bar none, is to be one with God. That's a mystic. That's a, the best definition I know of. So that's the closest thing you could you could put me. If you're going to pigeon me, hold me into a, something, that's as close as you could get. But I, my problem is is that I don't think about God enough. So I, I'm not a mystic because I, I don't spend every moment trying to Think about God. Right. I, I keep forgetting that I'm part of that. I keep thinking I'm extra. I keep, we're on the stage of illusion called life. By the way, do you know the meaning of life? The meaning of life. Well, that is subjective. <laughs> Not really. It can be said in nine words, and it's very, very concrete. It's very simple. It's very easy. Okay, here's the meaning of life in nine words. Go ahead. Life. Life is a gift that you give to yourself. Nine words. It's a gift you give to yourself. You choose it, take it on. And the way I learned that is um, I was at an Ekankar service in Portland, Oregon. This has nothing to do with this happens with the context. Okay, so I was sitting there. There was a guy talking, and he um he mentioned that he uh, regressed himself to when he chose his life. He actually went through the and, sh- and told me the experience of what he was like. He was with some spiritual, some some beings of light. They were showing him. Uh, first thing he saw was rolodexes, and these rolodexes. He was this, he was in a room with Rol- with rolodexes sitting on you know sitting there. And he said the Rolodexes stretched out as far as he could see in every direction, right? He said on each page of the Rolodex, there was an image. 
And he said you could not stare at the image because if you stared, if you looked too closely at any of the images, you would get sucked into that reality. It was not a, an image printed on a paper. It was an actual portal into a reality on every page of every Rolodex going out as far as he could see. That was the first part of his experience. And later on in the experience, he was being shown images up on a, not, I would say up on a wall, but there were no walls. Up on, you know, up large, he was seeing these images, moving images, actual, you know, reality, portal-looking images of his, of a life he was considering taking. And then it, further down the story, he actually got to go through the life experience to actually experience part of that future life before he chose it. And that was the first time anybody had ever told me that they how they chose their life. And then I became a hypnotherapist, and I worked with uh, probably close to 100 clients over a year in Houston. And I took many people through their uh, experiences of choosing lives. Nothing like that, but it, every time you choose a life, it's totally different. I, I had a number of clients who um, – between incarnations, I, I got to where I wanted to focus on what happens on the other side between incarnations. So they'd be on the other side, and they would meet a being of light that was also a portal. It was both a being and a portal, and they would get shown a life review, a very brief life review, and then they would the choice would be made, and they would move on. And I I asked the guy, I asked the person, I would ask them, is it you're going to heaven or hell or what's the what's the choice? You know, they would go through the experience and actually tell me what what happened to them and that would give you what choice was. Choice was not to go on or it was the choice was to either take another life or to move on to the afterlife. And and the cases that I came across, they at least one of them. Uh, what they did was they went into a, like a um, – there would be like a, this one guy. He was uh, – saw like a – he was he, – he he walked around on the earth for uh, a period of time, and he kept trying to get have sex with women. He would like come up to them and try to, you know, touch them and stuff, and they would – he would like go through them. They, they couldn't uh, – he's a ghost, right? They couldn't – see him and he couldn't you know touch them and they go right through them right and he got bored with walking around the earth and eventually he saw a, uh, a a doorway of light up above the earth and he went into that and it got brighter and brighter it was total all light and then it started dimming back down the light went away guess where he was go ahead guess where was he he was on a table being born in a in an operating in a, on an operating table in a in a hospital being born again. So you believe in reincarnation, obviously. Well, yeah, I've taken many clients through uh, their timeline forward. I've taken many people through their future lives and their past lives, and the lot time on the other side in between, like uh, uh, Tom. Uh, Michael Newton, you read his book, uh, Life Between Lives. I haven't read his book, but I do know who he is. Yes. Yeah, he took thousands of people between lives, and I did that too. I I got to where I got bored with doing past lives and future lives, and and started focusing on what happens on the other side. 
and that's more the more far more interesting than what happens on the sun so interesting and of course you had other experiences with your wife some sort of a stigmata is that true uh i've never had anything like stigmata but uh i have so my wife um i guess i should start with her on her 14th birthday uh one of her neighbors uh girlfriend uh brought over a Ouija board they played with it for the whole day uh, as if it were a toy and within two years she had a she was sleeping one night she had a dream and in that dream she saw her mother commit suicide with a rifle and so she she also saw the same series of dreams she saw um, an image of her mother that was a demon coming to her front door and they it her mother went to the door to answer the door and the demon stuck a spike through the door and killed her mother in another part of that same dream her mother's laying in bed and there's a demon in the form of a man dressed in white laying in her bed with eyes that were red and so when she woke up after that night she tried to destroy the rifle it's her mother's and her brothers kept her from destroying that rifle and her mother did blow her own head off within two years of playing with that Ouija board wow. uh, just as her dream predicted. So that was uh, sort of the early experience of my wife. She's gone through, um, she lived in LA and she met people there that did things that were very dark. And uh, so um, she's got a legion within her and, I have two attaching spirits, one that sits in my head and one that sits in my back. And so we have, uh, I don't know anything about stigmata, but we have both had uh, tons of spiritual experiences. We've lived in houses or apartments where I've lived in one house. It was haunted by the, probably by the people who died in there before us. And uh, one day I was going to hook my dogs up with a, their leashes and the the cabinet doors underneath the sink in the kitchen, one of them opened and closed and the other one opened and closed. I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, uh, we've both had, uh, lots of tons of spiritual things. I'll give you one other example real quick. I was in, uh, Houston before I met my wife and I was unemployed and I was hanging out in this one apartment and I was, the blinds were all closed the lights were all off in the apartment, but there was light coming in from the outside because of bright sun and shiny day outside. It was kind of dim in the apartment because now the lights were on, but plenty of light anyway. So I'm, uh, I would go to the restroom, and this happened a number of days. I'd go to the restroom. I'd walk in the restroom. So it wasn't a one-time event. It was a recurring event. I see. I'd be, I'd be urinating, right? And I would look up at the uh, – the mirror on the wall that's like length of the wall was all mirrored, right? Most of it. And in the mirror, I would I'd see the reflection of the door behind me. And there was a, a spirit uh, hovering in the doorway. And it was a uh, like a just a, like an energy form that was just swirling. And it was like almost like a cloud, but it was barely visible. But it was very, it was very apparently real, but but very see-through at the same time and very persistent. And it wasn't there just for a second. It was there the whole time I was urinating. 
and I'm and I turn around, look at it, and I can see it directly, also not just in the mirror. And then you know, and that happened day after day. That's an example of you know, and I've had tons of. I had uh, being as I have two attaching spirits. Yeah, tell have, us about that. That's very, that's rather interesting. What makes you say that you have these attachments, and what makes you believe that so so heavily? Well, okay, so you know who Michael Crichton is, right? I vaguely do. I I think I I remember the name. Okay, so he wrote. Uh, I was gonna say he's an author, right? He's one of the most famous authors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if you go on my website and you scroll down to uh, what's that? Right, one second. Oh uh, yeah. So the, you scroll down about a little over halfway down the page, you'll see the word demonic. And then underneath that word, um, at the very bottom of that section, you'll see the fattest, longest piece of white text. It starts with, it says, the entity excerpts from Michael Crichton's The Author of Jurassic Park. So you know Jurassic Park, right? Right, right, yeah. Now I remember. Andro- the Andromeda Strain. Click on the word, the, or the phrase, the entity. It'll take you to another page. And it's excerpts from an entity. That's the chap, last chapter of Michael Brighton's autobiography, which is called Travels. This is a very long quote from that book. And this, he, the reason why I'm telling you this is we'll make a big circle right back to answer mm-hmm. your question. So, um, he went to a hypno, hypno, hypnotherapist. The hypnotherapist put a lady um, into a trance on the other side of the room. She's like laying on a couch or something. He's laying on a um, like a massage table or something, right? He the hypnotherapist puts the lady in a trance. Then he comes back over to Michael, puts Michael in a trance, and then he uh, Michael he has Michael look in. Um, you know, look into his mind's eye. Do you see anything? Michael's seeing a cartoon demon, and, but he thinks it's a figment of his imagination. So he says, no, I don't see anything. He lies to the guy, right? So the guy walks over to the, uh, the, the lady who's also in a trance. He says, what do you see? She says, I see a cartoon demon. And so he walks back over to Michael and he says, are you sure you don't see anything? And the Michael that point realizes that the cartoon demon is not a figment of his imagination because the girl is seeing it also, right? So then uh, come to find out he has ha- he had, he's no longer with us, but he had four attaching spirits, right? So uh, he's the most famous uh, person who's been obsessed, who's ever lived, except for the kid upon which the exorcist moved. Based. So uh, the way I understand that I have attaching spirits is just because I live with them on a daily basis and experience them 24-7. So it's not so much a belief as a experience thing. By the so, way, your your website, for those out there that were wondering, it is profoundstates.com. Yes. So, um, so uh, I've had uh, – I was sitting on – on, uh, across from this girl, I used to go over to this one girl's house when I lived in Oregon, Portland, and uh, I 
you're familiar with uh, who, uh, you know what hemispheric synchronization is, right? Yes. So you know the Monroe, uh, Robert Monroe is, right? Robert Monroe and the Institute. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. So have you ever listened to his uh, hemispheric synchronization tapes? Not those, but I've heard lots of his material. Okay, so but original art- hemi- Yeah, but articles, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so the original hemisync uh, tapes that you could purchase, the first series that he came out with, I purchased those, and I would take those over to this one girl's house, and uh, half a dozen or so people, we would gather at this, what we call them, out-of-body parties. Oh, did you corrupt these kids? No, they were... They were already corrupted. Okay. They they <laughs> were they were a rod before me. Okay. So uh, we would have these out-of-body period, uh, parties, and we would all li- lay on couches and on the floor and all these different places. Oh, my. We, listen, we would listen to our own tapes separate from everybody else, and we'd all try to get out of our bodies. Never worked for me. Interesting. I've only, I've only been out of my body once in my whole life, uh, or once that were where I knew that I was out of my body. And I, what I did was I was laying on my bed and I lifted my upper body, lifted up. And I thought I was awake, right? Cause I was seeing the room as if I was awake. And so I lifted my upper body like I was just sitting up and I got to about a 45 degree angle and I couldn't go any further. And I was, I didn't understand what was going on. I Amazing. started screaming my head off and scared the crap out of me. And and then I woke up, and uh, but I thought I was awake. I had no idea that I was even asleep. And so, with attaching spirits, this I've had several times where one on, sits on my head has taken me into the dream state, like flipping off a light switch. One second you're awake, and this next second you're in a dream world. And there's no hypnopopic or hypnagogic state in the middle, and there's no falling asleep slowly in the middle. It's just switch from one to the next and you think you're still awake and you're like moving around the dream world kind of freaking out because it's not world you know like you get up and you go and it's pitch black in the room you go to turn on the light light won't turn on you're like what the hell and you're in a dream world and you just you went from the regular world to the dream world in a blink of an eye and that's happened to me several times so as far as how do I know that I have attaching spirits? Well, let's go back to the girl. I was at the girl's party. We're sitting, uh, the opposite. Everybody's gone except for me and her. She was, she liked me. And in any case, we're sitting there. She'd do, um, read, read, she, uh, do tarot cards for me. And she would, uh, tell me this and that. And, and one of the things she, we're sitting there, uh, on opposite sides of a, a card table and she looks at me and she says you know you have an imp imp an imp jumping around on the top of your head and i said i thought about it for a second it was jumping around the top of my head at that moment it normally doesn't do that but it was doing it that day and i knew that she could see it because she not only described it but she could see the fact that it what it was doing the fact that it was jumping around and it was when it was jumping around, so I knew that she wasn't just making something up. So um, that was the first person that saw one of them. Now I was also in Portland, Oregon. I was in the the um, the Justice Center jail in the city jail. I was in this cell with uh, 
a uh, cellmate, and he'd gone to a psychic before he met me. Wait a minute. Hold on. You were in a cell? Yeah, a jail cell. What happened? So, well, let me tell you that at the end of the story. Okay, go ahead. Yes. So, so anyway, uh, we're in the cell together, right? He had gone to a psychic before, long before he was in this jail cell with me, right? And he had been a, 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 a magician on in many lifetimes. And he did exorcisms in a different, he was an exorcist in one life. And, and uh, he had his own attaching spirits and blah, blah, et cetera, et cetera, right? And um, he, I'm sitting there on the floor of the jail cell, right? And I'm doing uh, what I was trained to do, how, how to meditate, right? How to do yoga, not meditate, but do yoga, right? It's not, I, I didn't do the physical yoga. I did the spiritual yoga, right? So it, you bow, you go side to side, and you're moving through the chakras with your consciousness to get the energy flowing through your body, right? So I was doing that, and then when I got through, you know, he's sitting over on the bottom bunk, right? He's watching me. I finish my yoga, and I open my eyes, and I look over at him, and he says, you know, you have a demon sticking its tail in your back, right? It's a statement and a question. and I moved. I when the girl told me when we're sitting across from the card table, I'd known about my attaching spirit sitting on my head long before she had mentioned it. She just confirmed what I already knew. Now, in his case, I did not know about the one sitting on my back. I moved my awareness to my back, and I could I could feel a very sharp pain in my back, but around the sharp pain, I could feel the energy of the attaching spirit on the surface. Of my skin, and I knew that 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 energy signature around the sharp pain was that of a spirit, not just a sharp back pain. And I had to acknowledge to myself that I also had one on my back as well at that moment. So that's how I got the one on my back. The one on my head, I knew long before that girl told me, as I mentioned. So that's a part of that. Now, why I was in the jail cell. It just was marijuana related. I, I, um, actually in that case, it wasn't marijuana. That was, um, that was, um, that was marital discord issues. That was not marijuana. Related. Most of the times, I've been in jail many times, but the, top, most of the times it was marijuana, but then. So you were getting booked for weed. Well, not in that case, but historically, but yeah, not in that yes. case. Okay. Histori- historically, yes. But in that case, it was marital discord. So I've been in jail two times for marital discord and two or three times and many times for pots. And in what state, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? Well, that was in Portland, Oregon, but ah, as, oh, far, yeah, that was, as far as, the, as, far as yeah. the marijuana goes, that was all mostly in Texas. I spent uh, eight years in, well, you know who Janice Joplin is? Of course, yeah. Okay, so my wife and I laid on the high-to-bed couch this evening watching an old copy of Dick Cavett's show, and she was on that show that t- that time. She sang a couple of her songs on the show. She's from 
she's a native of Port, of, uh, Port Arthur, Texas. Now, Port Arthur is one of the cities in the Golden Triangle. Now, there's Port Arthur, Beaumont, and Orange. Well, I was born in Orange. She was born in Port Arthur. And um, Lady, the most famous female golfer of all time. What's her name? Anyway, she was from Beaumont. So, you know, Orange has the world's largest Coca-Cola collection outside of the company. It's the only thing. Beaumont had the largest oil uh, gusher in the history of the world for many years until some until another oil gusher took that record 20, 15, 20 years ago. Held it for spindle top. Those are all the famous things about the Golden Triangle. So anyway, it's from, from Orange, which is the last city. You go from Houston to Louisiana, the last city you go through is Orange. And you, even though you went through the city, unless you look up sign and it says the exit to Orange, Texas. Amazing. And you got popped for weed out there in Texas. Definitely not a place to get popped for that. Well, I, I got popped. Um, I've had a, one time I had a cop try to kill me. Wow. I had another cop save my life. So, uh, I've had, a, I've been in both ends of the spectrum. So the cop that saved my life was the guy who put me in jail. They popped me for pot after the, uh, Texas, the first Texas jam, first Texas jam. Uh, and after it was over, uh, driving back to Houston. And they put us in jail and cost us like 150 bucks or something. Bummer. Uh, but I spent the night in a cell that was pitch dark. I had a cellmate, right? I asked the cellmate, why are you in here? And he said, oh, I, I just murdered a guy. <laughs> I'm in a pitch darkness overnight yeah. with a guy who just murdered somebody. <laughs> Interesting, yes. Uh, because I smoked pot, you know. But I hadn't been. But in jail overnight, I have a feeling the uh, guy driving probably would have fallen asleep on the way. Yeah. I'll probably die. My God. Yeah, you so lived, I think that I think that cop actually saved my life. But you jail. lived a very uh, eventful life, and we didn't even talk about your contactee uh, experience here at all. You, you definitely well, had a, Okay, so I had my first close encounter on October, October 3rd, 1980. Houston, Texas, at the northwest corner. What was at that time the northwest corner? Houston, Texas, at my mother's house on October 3rd night. Uh, Friday, it's Friday night or Saturday night. Exactly 11 p.m. That was the first one. The second one was six months later on uh, Cape Canaveral Base before the first space shuttle launch. That excerpt of, if you want to know anything about that particular encounter without me telling you, just go to my book, top right hand corner website see the fattest link up there uh, under my name where it says an excerpt and the index from instruments of control uh, attaching spirits cause war terrorism crime racism murders insanity mental illness molestation marital discord suicide and many others and are leading humanity to its fourth impending fall if you go on that link see a paragraph two small paragraphs that gives you an idea of how my second encounter occurred. And uh, so then 
see the index of the book, which I'm looking for an agent for. So that's the first and the second encounter. I also had an encounter in Peru um, with uh, five or six people that were with me one night when we were standing behind the large maloca that we that I lived in and uh, thatched hut and the, one of the fellows saw an object way up in the sky and I saw it and we got some binoculars out and we all saw it together and it stayed up there fixed in a position with the stars moving with the stars which is really odd for like two hours two or three hours the next day my last day at the at the retreat uh, I was talk. I was sitting down in the back behind the Maloka, uh, same spot we were standing, sitting in the chairs. I was sitting one, with one of the owners of the, the retreat, and he was. I was sitting there with him, his wife, and his son. She only spoke Spanish, and the son only spoke Spanish, and he spoke Spanish and English. And I tell tell him about that that event, and uh, and. He's translating it to his wife. His wife is responding to him in Spanish. He's translating what she's saying to English for me. And after I got through telling him about the previous night's event, she tell in response, she tells him through him, she tells me that uh, the assistant to one of the cooks saw circular uh, saucer-shaped craft uh, the same night. Um, probably, I don't know, I assume it was unrelated to what I was seeing, but we had two different craft, same facility on the same evening. It's bizarre. Very bizarre. A lot of, so, a lot of your encounters have been quite bizarre. Well, the first one I had was uh, basically a black hole with eight equidistant lights around the edge of the craft and I came very close to leaving with that craft. I um, was thinking of committing suicide that night and that's why they came. I'd gone out hoping, you know, calling, hey, come take me away for like a year while I was living with my mother. Why were you suicidal, if you don't mind me asking? Because I have attaching spirits that influence me to... You think... uh, Remember, look at the title of my... uh, Suicide in there? Yeah, it is. It is. Look at the title of my book. Suicide is there. So, attaching spirits to the primary cause of war, terrorism, crime, racism, murder, insanity, mental illness, molestation, marital discord, suicide, and more illnesses that you care to shake a stick at. Attaching spirits cause all of these things. They're the primary cause of all of these things. They are the number one problem on earth, bar none. If mankind recognizes its problem with attaching spirits and does the proper things to deal with it, all the things in that title book will go away. Attaching spirits cause all of those things. So have you ever seen um, the TV show um, Dead Files? Amy... Uh, What's her last name? Dead Files. Why does that sound familiar? Well, if you don't watch TV, you won't have not have seen it. But I don't know what sounds familiar. But uh, the Dead Files. 
Okay, so her name is Amy. Yeah, the Dead Files. You're you're talking about a show that came out a while back. If I do remember correctly, yeah, that, I had to, yeah, I was like on the. I had to kill that. Channel. I had to kill that. What? Go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, I was on the Travel Channel. Yeah, well, Amy is one of the most. Um, I think personally, I'm a big fan of. Her. I think she's one of the most accurate psychics alive, and uh, I believe the show is real, and I believe she does see what she sees. So. There's an excerpt that I have in my book. I can pull it up and find it if you want to. But basically, she's sitting there talking to the uh, retired New uh, York City police detective. It's her partner. Um, she's talking about the Indian Wars in uh, the United States. She uh, says something like, 100 years, this one Indian, uh, Indian tribe ruled the land, and then this other one took over, and they ruled for 50 or 100 years, and then another one took over. She's talking about how how um, savage the – it's either her or her partner. I can't remember who's actually giving out the information, but um, they're just discussing how the war between these different uh, Indian tribes was caused by spirit influences. So. Did you ever, are you an Art Bell fan? Yes and no. Okay, so you didn't listen to him back in the day. Well, yeah, of course. I've listened to a lot of his shows from way back in the day. Okay, so did you ever, did you ever listen to the show where the girl who calls in tells him how he lost his watch and where it's at? That I can't recall, no. Okay, so I was listening to it one night live. And the girl calls in that I'm talking about, right? She had called in previously and he had lost his watch and he said, I know a lot of you people or a number of you people out there are psychic. So when you psychics call in and tell me where my watch is. So this girl calls in and she tells him not only where the watch is, but how he lost it. It's all accurate. Totally, you know, finds it exactly where she says it is. The way he lost it is exactly what she says. So she was very psychic. She's very accurate, right? So when I heard her call in live, she tells him, my name is so-and-so. Do you know? Do you remember me? He goes, no. Who are you? He says, I'm the girl who called in and told you where your watch was and how you lost it. Remember me now? And he says, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember you now. So, so right after that, she goes, my – what I'm getting psychically is that these school shootings, she, she called in right after the um, Columbine event, within maybe a month of the Columbine event. She oh, called okay. In. So this was like 1999 then. Right. So, or whatever year that was. Yeah, 99. So, uh, so she says, I'm getting psychically that these, uh, these school shootings are being caused by uh, – Disincarnate forces, something maybe not exactly those words. That's basically what she said. So if you get that, if you think that she's accurate, that is terrorism because the school shootings are terrorism. They're just a version of terrorism. And so, uh, 
Uh, we think of terrorists as being Middle Eastern. No. A Muslim? No. They can be anybody causing terror. So these kids doing school shootings, just as, just as much terrorism as any other. So this was some sort of dark psychic force then. Is that what you're saying? It's just disincarnates. It's just disincarnates. It's okay. So if you, so kill this one, this one back. Go. You on my website yet? I am now. Yes. Okay. So scroll down, uh, just a little bit. And let's see, where is it at? Scroll down a little bit more. You'll see um, on the right side, or let's just go in the middle. You got weather, then you got news, then you got useful, then you got featured videos, then you got featured journals. Where it says featured journals, to the right, right column, you'll see the word change and then the word the universe underneath that in white, right? Yes, oh, your, so your, your your website okay. is like a throwback of what I'd see in like 2001. Well, it was modeled after Jeff Francis' site. He asked me to be on a show many years ago, and I said no. And, uh, <laughs> That's funny. And so nowadays he won't return my – Yeah, most anyway, show hosts are very sensitive. You, you'll learn that eventually. No, my problem was I sent him a fellow that he had on his show, and the guy was a fake. I think he probably blames me. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Well, there you go. Sensitive. Uh, so anyway, mm-hmm. well, anyway, so underneath the word the universe, uh, you're going to see, um, dark energy and the 4% universe. It's the secondly link under the universe, right? Right. So click on that with your control key held down. You click on that and it'll open another tab and then go to that page. A uh, page, and then it'll 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 jump from there to where it says astronomy and astrophysics in the new millennium at the top. And there's an X on the right. Just click on that X to close that. Then you'll see a pyramid, right? Right. Now okay. I go. Yeah. All right. So I don't know what CNO is, uh, but underneath that you got neutrinos. I don't know how they even make up. Three percent. That's kind of weird. The stars. This is the okay. So the way the reason why I brought you to this and what this represents in relation to our conversation is that we're talking about disincarnates and how they affect incarnates. Well, I have this theory. Uh, well, let me give you how this, this this pyramid. How are you not religious yet? You sound very religious by telling me all these things. Well, hold on a second. I'm holding. Go we're ahead. Gonna, we're gonna go. We're gonna go science first. Okay, take us down so, that route. So, um, have people uh, different astronomers? I don't, I've never read the books, so I don't know which astronomers it was. But you have multiple astronomers, right? They're, they're observing the universe. They're watching stars, different objects move around. They're calculating the weight of all the stars all the mass of the universe and this and that. I don't know how they calculate the weight of a black hole. To me, that's mind-blowing. But but they they figured out somehow that all the movements, are, if you calculate the weight and you compare it to the movements, there's there's a lot of missing mass in the universe. So from that observation, they came up with 4% universe, which is uh, – 
all the matter in the universe, including all the stars, all the electrons, all the protons, all the neutrons, everything that exists that we think of as the universe is really only 4% of the universe. That's the orange in the pyramid. Now, if you've been watching the new series of Star Trek uh, from the paid channel, they get into dark matter. That's the, a big construct there in the middle. The big one is dark energy. Now, I have the notion, I've come up with an idea. See, scientists have no clue what dark matter is or dark energy is. But the universe, according to this model, is mostly dark energy. I believe that dark energy and subtle energy are the same. I'm correct. Subtle energy and dark energy, one and the same, that basically means that ghosts, demons, angels, uh, beings of light, like, you know, the very high, uh, like the ones that the greys are supposed to be reporting to, beings of light, all these, uh, everything that is spirit, that is non-physical, that's the dark energy. So if you think of us, we're in the 4%. So if you have, take, let's take the aliens, right? Let's say there's a billion Google worth of alien races. Not beings, but races. That's a Google, a billion times a Google. That's a number that's too long to even comprehend with the mind, right? So, uh, there's that many races out there. Multiply that by 17 disincarnates. If, if disincarnates fits in with dark energy, we fit in with normal matter. The co- composition of the universe in relation to entities, individuated beings, fits with the way the universe is built, then you have 17 disincarnates for every incarnate. So that kind of gives you an idea. I'm not talking religion here. We're just talking facts. So if you think I'm talking religion, you'd be wrong. So uh, I have to deal with disincarnates because I've just had to, to spend my life. Um, and you live in, like, for, I'll give you an example. Okay, I was, we were living, the, the apartment I lived in in Manassas, Virginia was the most dark, spiritually infested apartment I've ever, to, by my experience that I've ever wife. However, if you ask my wife, she'll say no, it was, she'll give you a different apartment or a different place that we lived in where I'm in, I'm over in, um, in working in a war zone. I worked in Afghanistan. I was working in the Afghan embassy, um, and I worked in uh, Uzbekistan, and I worked in Afghanistan, three different places. And so, um, and all of that, uh, I'm my wife was in the apartment here, and she's like laying in bed, and something tried to strangle her, and the 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 Mattress actually lifted up on one side. The dogs are freaking out. This is when I'm over in Afghanistan, right? So I'm in Afghanistan. I'm laying in my bunk there, right? And my, my, uh, as a, somebody who's been trained as a kid to do, um, uh, basic, uh, like building of houses type stuff, hammers, nails, this and that. Um, I build out uh, rooms inside these tents, even though it was against the rules. 
And so I'm laying in my bunk in my little room that I built out in my tent and uh, out of plywood. And the bunk is not actually touching the wall. It's separate. It's like two inches from the wall. Something hits my bunk like it's a thousand pound monkey uh, gorilla. It hits it hard on the edge of it, on the metal. I feel it move and it, it makes it a big sound. There's nothing in the room. It's nobody, no person. So, you know, these are examples that I'm just giving you off the top of my head. I could go on and on, uh, you know, literally for hours, giving you one example after another. So I've had to live with spirit, not from a religious perspective, but experience. So Understood. I about spirit, I don't talk about things that come out of a book. Right. Understood, my friend. Understood. And of course, speaking of which, you mentioned the book and in your bio, you did tell me you had been working on a book for many, many years. What's going on there? Why haven't you released a book? Well, uh, I actually sent it to a whole bunch of uh, agents and, and they all rejected it out of hand, but one actually accepted it. And I sent a physical copy to him, and he rejected it. And he didn't even tell me he read it. It's like he received it and then rejected it without even opening it. I don't know what he did because he never told me. And so basically I'm looking for an agent, and I don't want to self-publish it. That's the deal. Interesting. Okay. And you haven't tried um – uh, another publisher. I don't go to publishers directly. I prefer to have an agent, but because um, with the publisher, you're going to get a better deal and you're going to get promoted better. If you just go to straight to a publisher, then, uh, you know, it just doesn't work out as well. But I could do that. I sent it. I don't know if it was you or somebody uh, I've been talking to in the last day. I sent it today to a talk show host. I don't know. Was it you or was it not you? It wasn't me. I promise. Okay. So one of the, I've been talking to several people who show I'm going to be on besides you to a couple others. And one of them had me send it to them because they knew somebody to send it to. So that will go. That's a publisher, not an agent. So it's going to, make the rounds of some publishing places uh, here and there. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not in a hurry uh, because the last – I've edited it so many times. It gets, uh, gets monotonous to edit it so many times. But last time I edit – every time I edit it, I say it's the last time I'm going to do it. This last time I did it, which was like uh, maybe a month or two months ago, I found a whole page that was totally – out of place is see publisher. I don't know if you've ever used Microsoft publisher, but there are certain Microsoft products that are kind of buggy. Uh, and publishers, one of those and publisher, what it'll do is if you go beyond the end of a text box on a page, it doesn't link over to the next page. What it'll do is it'll, a, a pop-up will come up and say, do you want to auto flow this text? And if you make this mistake of saying yes, what it'll do is it'll open up a space somewhere in the book and throw that extra text. And it may not, it won't be the next page. It'll be just somewhere random. And it, so you got these texts looping 
all it's like a spaghetti. You got to go un, undo all the spaghetti. Uh, I thought I had it all un, unspaghettied, unlooped. And it come to find out there was a whole page that was totally out of place. So you know, it's good that it didn't get published before doing it this last time because, you know, it just wasn't ready. So Omni Magazine was going to publish my first two close encounters that I mentioned, the one in October 3rd, 1980, Mother's House in Northwest Houston, and the one after that on Cape Canaveral for the first space shuttle launch that's in the, in the book itself on my website. Those two uh, are just excerpt of uh, that's there. Those two encounters, I went to MUFON and uh, John Schuschler, the international head of MUFON, investigated my case and took me to a hypnotherapist and all the stuff. And Omni Magazine was going to publish that story. The government went to them and said, no, you're not going to publish this story. It was stopped. And the U.S. government is really bad about uh, suppressing that stuff. Fortunately, it's changing to where, like the Navy now says, you're supposed to report that stuff. It's a first. And, but a lot of people think that they're actually disclosing stuff now. Look closely, you'll find out they're not. And individuals within the government are disclosing it, but the government itself, the official story, has actually gone backwards. Back in the day before I was even born, the government, actually, there was a general, TV was black and white. There was a general, I forgot his name. I've seen the video of it. He came on TV and said, uh, they're crafting the sky and they're flown by aliens from other planets. He was speaking officially for the government, right? People don't remember this. Today, it's not even close to that. So the best evidence that's ever been released to the public is not available to the public anymore. People think it's those those uh, gun camera footage that shown. Oh yes, Emmett, Emmett, That's not the best. Okay, the best was same thing, but a longer version, and it was it was put out. Um, you probably didn't see this. I watched it, so I know it exists. There was a guy who was at a Mufon meeting. Did you see the two hour video at the Mufon meeting? Of course not. I was not there. No, no, I wasn't there either. It was on the web. No, no, so, I haven't seen anything from MUFON that I found compelling, to be completely honest with you. Okay, well, I'm not saying MUFON released it. I'm just saying it was out on the web and it was a MUFON. It was at a, it was filmed, it was videotaped at a MUFON event. Oh, okay. I'm not I see. saying MUFON mm-hmm. released it. I'm saying it was at a MUFON event. Right. I, I assume it was MUFON taped. It might not have been. Okay, so anyway, at this MUFON event, there was a government employee, a retired government employee. I don't remember his name, and he's not well-known, even to this day. So he's standing up on a stage. It's playing a video, right? It's the video of the um, the Aguadilla video that the Customs and Border Patrol filmed on at, at, on, the, on the, the island of Puerto Rico, um, Puerto Rico should be. Uh, at the city called Aguadilla, there was an encounter. The Customs and Border Patrol, the government filmed this, right? videotaped it. And it's an hour-long video. And it's being shown within a two-hour video. Okay, So he's up on stage. He's playing this video. And uh, he goes 
fast forwards it and plays it and fast forwards and plays it, fast forwards and plays it, rewinds it, and he spends two hours showing you a one-hour video. Okay. That was posted. I have a link to the dead link on my website just to go and show people here's where it was. It was out there for a week, a month, two months. I don't remember how long it was out there, but it wasn't long. They pulled it. It's never been seen again. That's the best evidence. So you have an hour-long video shot by the Customs and Border Patrol that the public saw, but nobody knows it was ever out there because very few people saw it. Interesting. It was pulled, it was pulled out. I'm, That's the best evidence. You're going to have to send me that link if you could find that. Oh, I can show it to you right now. Okay, go to my home page. Go to, let's see, where did I put it? Uh, okay, so on the top of my page, you got the UFOs tab. Click on that. Then go down. You on my UFO pay, UFOs page? No, I'm not. Uh, unfortunately, I, I do have to wrap things up here. We, okay. We, we do have a, another guest that is waiting but I, I do want to thank you again for being a part of the program. It's been very interesting talking to you. We definitely have to talk about a few other things here uh, about your, your story here. We, we left out a few important pieces, but of course we can uh, touch base again with you again, my friend. Sure. Uh, thank you for having me on, my, on your show. Send me, email me a link to where you posted when you posted And I look forward to being on the show again. For sure, brother. Take care and we'll talk again. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will be joined by another guest in a moment here. And my God, I hope you enjoyed Mr. Charles Beaver here. And if you didn't, well, I do apologize if you did not like Mr. Charles Beaver. And yes, Michael Horn is back. And Eric says, I'm sure Horn would call this guy a liar. Well, Michael would call anyone really a liar. And that's why we like Michael Horn so much. Part of his charm. He's a great guy. And of course, part two is coming up. Don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. Welcome back.
Boys and girls, hope you enjoyed that little intermission. We are moments away from bringing in Mr. Michael Horn, the American media representative of Billy Meyer. And yes, it's good to see all of you here in the chat room. Thank you so much. And for those listening to a replay tomorrow, you don't have to put up with any of this. That is the great part of listening to the podcast rendition of this program. No intermission. And the sound isn't so bad either. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast rendition, I would take the time to do so now or later. The show is available on all podcast platforms, whichever you fancy the most. It might be there. It might be worth checking out. And of course, if you have not joined the Patreon, you are fucking up. I have to be honest with you. If you have not joined, you are an idiot. That's patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Now let's bring in Mr. Michael Horn, who I believe is patiently waiting now. And it's always a fun time to bring in this next gentleman, Mr. Michael Horn. What's up, my friend? Well, hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I was just enjoying a fresh drink here and, of course, enjoying our banter before we yeah. even started this little shindig of ours here. And I was telling you about that first guest I had on and a very interesting gentleman, in my opinion. He was telling me all these things, Michael, that sounded religious, yet he claimed they were not religious whatsoever. Hmm. Well, maybe uh, maybe for him it wasn't. Yeah, maybe religious. it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's all a matter of opinion and you know how that goes. Yeah. You know, the thing is, it's when people have subjective beliefs, then or ex subjective experiences, actually, there's not much another person can do with it. And there's the temptation. I've certainly had it many times, you know, to, you know, question or challenge or even ridicule certain things. Uh, because they are claimed as true while they are subjective. So it's a little difficult. And in this day and age when everything is just swirling around with uh, all sorts of claims and, you know, it's a mixed bag out there, uh, I still like to stick to things that are evidential that you can, you know, analyze. Well, that's the thing. I was, I, I was going to bring up that fact. I was going to say, do you have any tangible evidence to present to us about any of these claims you're making? But of course, why bother? Yeah. I mean, if, if you did, if you just detect or discern that that isn't going to be, you know, uh, a productive. Well, it, it was, and I was going to get much of an answer. He didn't really answer anything. He kind of, uh, talked in circles a bit there. And of course, as soon as he appealed to popularity, that's when I sort of realized, yeah, I'm not going to get much of a straight answer as soon as he fell into that. I, well, you know, I didn't, I was, uh, clicking in and out because I, but as I told you, I was drinking a lovely cup of tea sure. and doing some stuff and I mm -hmm. wanted to see, I had, didn't know anything about this person. So I, didn't either. I clicked in yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, a wild card to me, but it was fun though. <laughs> I, I do like talking to all sorts of, um, life out there and I like knowing what makes them tick inside, to be honest. 
Yeah, I, I'll, that's very generous of you. I no longer want to know. What of course, but I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, you've had your fun with that. Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you right now uh, what makes some people tick, and it's not pretty. I wouldn't say that about this person because, as I said, I did not uh, listen to his whole interview, and, you know, I, no I, I hadn't heard about him before or anything. I, I'm just – I'm familiar with a lot of other people who I either encounter – or find that, you know, comments from and things like that on videos and uh, presentations uh, with with various kinds of claims about their own experiences or claims and opinions about what I do and what I represent. So that's another story that I'm much more familiar with than Mr. Beaver's uh, experiences or position. I like his name, though. M Mike Beaver. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Mike Beaver. Well. There, that, yeah, that, and that certainly lends itself to all sorts of things. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. So now, of <laughs> course, this isn't your first rodeo here on the program, and tonight you've drawn assignment yet again, but this time things will be slightly different. And I felt what a better way than to address your enemies and take their compliments here this evening. <laughs> it's always the best way, Michael. You know that. It's the most fun yeah. way, too. Did you uh, want to start with any specifics, or would you like me to well, uh, Michael, forth and volunteer, Mike? <laughs> before we we jump into the fun, Michael, I thought we could start right back to the fundamentals. In case we do have some newer souls out there who've never have heard of you, Mister Horn, I thought you could tell us just a little bit about yourself before we jump right into the meat and potatoes of the fun and glory. Sure. Well, uh, you know, we can do the I was born at a young age thing, but I've done that too many times. I could just say <laughs> I guess. that um, I have spent 40 years, am among other things that I've done in my life, I've spent about 40 years uh, doing research, actually a little more, on something known as the Billy Meyer UFO contacts in Switzerland. And uh, I can, you know, say that this is captivated my attention. I've done lots and lots of other things I still do. I'm, you know, I'm done. Gosh, I'm an author, a filmmaker, an inventor, a lecturer. A seven, renaissance. Seven, so I have my credentials. A, a renaissance man. I, I missed that. I'm sorry. A, a real renaissance man. Oh, yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to milk a compliment. <laughs> I, I just didn't hear you clearly. Yeah, uh, it's just that way. But I can say that uh, I was a late bloomer. I didn't really start to get on my own real track until I was about 32 years of age. Uh, I really, uh, once that point hit, I started to take many things more seriously and jumped into it. And this thing, the Billy Meyer contacts have been so compelling and so engrossing that I've made them more of a priority than any of the other particular creative avenues of expression that I have. And, uh, I've been over to Switzerland 20 times. I've interviewed Meyer every single time I've been there. I've made documentary films about it. I've interviewed many of the eyewitnesses. People don't know anything truly about this, you know, contact case, how extensive it is and how packed with incomparable, ir irrefutable and uh, irreproducible evidence it is. They, the, the kind of claims that people make are they're based on the very superficial you know skimming that they do online 
where usually the first thing they find are skeptical attacks, all of which have been roundly defeated, but people don't know that, so they you know, kind of glom onto it. So I had quite an interesting time with all that stuff. And, you know, I've done lectures and live presentations that have gone on for three and four hours. None of the skeptics ever show up to offer a challenge there because they're not competent. They're not capable to do that. But this is kind of the milieu of our world today. People love to attack others. They like to try to bring people down to a lower level. And I have, you know, my thoughts about why that's so. So I don't know if that said enough about it, but... I've spent, as I say, a little more than 40 years investigating this one particular remarkable case that has well over 125 eyewitnesses, five categories of still irreproducible physical evidence, and 45,000 pages of information, including hundreds, literally hundreds of specific error-free examples of prophetically accurate scientific, environmental, world event-related, geopolitical, economic information, and the world still knows relatively little about it. They only know what, generally what they hear from, you know, the skeptical crowd. But uh, actually, we're, we're going kind of um, much more, uh, what would you say, public and, you know, national, international with information now, especially since basically the case has been now independently authenticated. People don't either know or care to know that, but it's been authenticated and there's no question, but you still will get the people that, you know, uh, they've, you know, done no real due diligence, but they attack because that's the nature of life today. Definitely, definitely. And of course, I've been intrigued with the Billy Meyer case since I can remember lots of things. And I've been honest with you. I, I yep. can't really validate or say, well, this is the absolute truth and everything else is just nonsense. I can't say that for sure. There's some things about the mm. case that I find pretty interesting that I can't really sort of debunk, yet there are other things that I don't really find uh, completely valid, just a little shaky, just a little shaky, just some of the pictures that we've talked about, of course, but we, we went over that. We've gone through this. We have, and I think it's important you know, one of the things that uh, there's a guy who's a former top Air Force OSI officer who's a skeptic who came at me guns blazing about the Meyer case, and he ended up authenticating it. And he ended up authenticating it basically with the same basis that I used in nine or ten different articles. And it's very simple. He's said a couple of things. One, he said, if one of those photos is authentic, stop the presses because more than likely, the rest of them are. And then he got into analyzing, and he's determined that they are authentic. And what he used primarily was a standard forensic kind of protocol, and that is means, motive, and opportunity. He started at the very beginning, 1964, this vagabond Billy Meyer at that time, traveling around different parts of the world with a real primitive camera, and no money to speak of, and he's in the middle of nowhere in India, and he's got a photo album of 80 UFO, you know, 80 UFO photos, and he's interviewed by a very credible uh, reporter for a highly credible, reputable newspaper, and the guy describes the photos. We still have a dozen of those photos left, and it's it's done. Nobody 
nobody has ever been able to debunk the the original photos. And then when you get farther into the photographic evidence, people don't know the analysis that's been done. Four separate, wonderful, you know, in, detailed analyses spanning 40 years. So I don't, you know, I don't care much about arguing with people about the photos. They because they can't they can't explain it. They can't s- explain how this guy with a primitive 1940s camera takes 80 UFO photos in the middle of nowhere in 64 in India. And those photos are still around and they're, they're pretty remarkable photos. And the photos he took subsequent to that after he lost his arm are even clearer and more remarkable. So this is the kind of thing that, you know, for Anybody wants to go into the UFO photos, you go to my website or my blog and you read the analyses. And if you want to argue, you better argue with yourself because we've got one of the photos there that anybody can download right off the site, put it into Photoshop and make a couple adjustments. And then they have the shock of a lifetime because they start going, oh, my gosh, how that's real. You know, <laughs> that that's it. So, I, yeah, I mean, let's go into all the people who were attacking and. You know, I can. Yeah, we're going to get into that here in a moment, but of course, yeah, sure. To anything keep, you want, actually. Yeah, to, to keep things simple here, you believe full heartedly that the Billy Myers story is the story, correct? No, I don't believe it. I know that at this point, simply based on evidence, the evidence in the Meyer case and the lack of evidence anywhere else. So that's how I know. Now, I always say this: I don't know that everything in the Meyer case is true because so much stuff relates either to the far distant past or to the as yet unarrived future. But for the past 20 years that I've been saying that, more and more of the things have arrived from the future, such as the things that are in the process now arriving that will lead to the actual destruction of our country. I think there was a, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think there was a, a bit of an earthquake that just happened right now. Are you in California? Yes, sir. Of course. Ah, yeah. Well, <laughs> no surprise there. Yeah. I was uh, like, why? I'm not, so I didn't feel. <laughs> I, I was like, why is the room uh, shaking? And I was thinking, I just opened the beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, that would happen for me. I'm not a drinker. I, I bought, you know, two bottles of alcohol and I'm. You're done. Full. Yeah. I Amazing. Don't uh, but yes, yeah, sorry. I, I had to just jump in there. Go ahead. Yeah. All I'm saying is. I The people that I interact with that I respect the most are scientists, right. aerospace people, legal and military people who are familiar with the protocols of evidence. They, they're not interested in stories about people who think that there's demons and this and all the rest of it. If there's no evidence, it's irrelevant. But... People who are simply interested in this topic but have no expertise whatsoever get taken on all these rides and they're running around and they many people don't like the Meyer case because it's something that is tangible. Nobody in ufology, none of the people at SETI actually ever really, and I'll use the word believe, that they're going to find proof and real evidence. So what happens for people in so-called ufology, when they're literally confronted with the Meyer case, which is really what the UFO cover-up has been about, they don't handle it well. 
it demolishes all of the illusory, disinformational, silly stuff that is entertainment and distraction from the boring lives that a lot of people live. Billy Meyer hasn't lived a boring life, and neither have I. Meyer has survived about 23 attempts on his life for his trouble. But this doesn't register with most people in ufology, pardon me, because it's unscientific. It lacks any real scientific standards. It doesn't have so-called experts who are running around who know what they're talking about. They don't present evidence. And people don't like it that I say that and that I will put their names out there and I will say, well, I'll say to this person now, if you think I'm defaming you, well, let's debate it. Let's, we're, nobody wants to do that. They won't even sue me. I mean, I'm not on a big, you know, kick to, to, to insult people. It's funny I'm you say that though. Tired. It's funny you say that though, Michael, and I have to tag on to that, that I did try my best to have Michael Shermer join us for a discussion, but he opted not to. Well, yeah, because uh, I'm going to say this with all due respect. People that behave that way are cowardly in their behavior. They are afraid, especially. And let me say this. I've written two blogs in which I've given him kudos for positions not pertaining to ufology, but to environmentalism and other things where I felt he was strongly on the on the right side. Of well, it. what did you what exactly did you write in your article, by the way? Because he did send me an email asking me if it, if this was my doing, and I I had I had to be honest, I giggled a little bit, and I said, as much as I want to take credit for this, my hands are clean. I had no uh, wrong, right. <laughs> I had no wrongdoing on this one. Um, well, Michael, what me, what did you say to to, <laughs> to in uh, anger uh, our friend Michael Shermer? Well, let me find it if I can while we're uh, speaking about this. But yes. So that I can know because um, I probably called him a coward, which I, I believe is true. I mean, if he doesn't like that, then he should man up and debate because he was very glib. Ah, I wrote it. Does Michael Shermer have the courage of his convictions or is he content to hide behind derision and pseudoscientific skepticism? Mm, I see. Now. I mean, I say that. I'll say it to his face. Anything I've written about anybody pertaining to this field and per especially pertaining to their comments about the, the Meyer context or anything, I will say it to their faces. I appeared last year, or I won't be up, certainly they're not going to have me back, at Contact in the Desert, and I laundry listed all of the people that I claim are liars and phonies. Wait a minute, ufology. wait a minute, wait a minute, Michael. This was last year. Yeah. And I missed May. And I missed it. I, you know, I almost missed the, I got a call just a couple of weeks before the event. We have room for <laughs> one person. I heard you on the radio. Would you speak? And I said, yes. Well, I called those people out and oh, probably my, at least half of them were presenting at this thing. Oh my I God. I waiting for them to come and, you know, and, and want to debate me or, or call me out. No, they don't because they're, they're simply, look. Why would I bother to do that? Why would I call out and tell you these people are stone cold liars? I'll tell you why. I'm glad I asked, right? Right. Because the stakes are too damn high. The Meyer contacts are not primarily about UFOs, although it's the best evidence we'll ever get. They're not about extraterrestrials, the best evidence we'll ever get. It's about literally our own future survival. For 78 years now, Billy Meyer has been publishing 
so much information, the warnings, the specific warnings. He's the first person to specifically, at the age of 14, go out and spell out the real dangers of unnatural man-made climate change and, you know, the, the global warming, the cooling cycles that will come after. Are you, the are you a Democrat now? No. This has been – I was an environmentalist – when I was a teenager, that was a joke, fact, by the way. on my blog. Yeah, those, uh, I, I, I'm joking with you, by the way, Mr. Horn. Oh, that's okay. I, <laughs> yes. On my blog, I put up recently illustrations for an environmental story that I and a couple buddies did in 1968. Yeah, way back. About air pollution. I, I recall. So, I read the article. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm putting it out as a kid's book, too, a little kid's book. And, oh, okay. Kid's book. But nice. Billy Meyer beat me to it. He was writing and publishing this stuff in 51. And he's 14 years of age and all this stuff, the Pentagon a few years ago put out things that they called threat multipliers, the climate change specific elements of it that were a threat to military operations. I think the laundry listed nine of them. They were exactly what Meyer had started to publish in the 50s. So if this is a hoax, the climate thing. How is it that Meyer, who's the first person to warn about it, gets the Pentagon, comes out not referring to Meyer at all, and they publish the same damn stuff. So, you know, this is why I go after people that are talking. None of the people that you will interview or George Norton, anybody that you're claiming contacts with extraterrestrials and channeling. There's a lot of wild claims here. Yes. Not a one of them has evidence for it because whether deliberately or not, they're telling untruths and they are sucking up the bandwidth and the people, especially in this country, when they start to see what progresses this year, we're in it now. There's no turning back. The climate destruction is unchangeable. And the U.S. what Meyer also was told in 75, and they again published it in 2012, if things don't change in the United States of America, the superpower USA will cease to exist after 2020. Now, that doesn't mean that next month the country's destroyed. It means that we will not only no longer be a superpower as things progress, but the United States will cease to be because, as Meyer was the first person to predict in 1981 and publish again in 87, we will have two very dreadful civil wars here. When we were talking about this, I, I have had that on my website for 10 years, 12 years, 15, whatever. I first heard about it in 86 and I laughed. We did talk about uh, this, though, on one of our programs about uh, in, ter- in terms of the prophecies that Meyer had talked about. Was this sort of a war coming? Two civil wars coming. Here. Right. Yeah. And I think there's no doubt about it. I think... The, the country, people are being so badly polarized with, uh, you know, numbskull pol- politics and religious beliefs. This is my feeling about things that if we did do what the play Aaron and Meyer have been suggesting for decades, learn how to think neutrally, neutral, positive, not with partisan politics, not with delusional imaginary deities and saviors and saints and entity. We are at a level of primitive consciousness here that has allowed the worst, oftentimes, 
the worst people to attain power. We just in our country just murdered a man in another country. The man may have been a terrible person. I, I'm not defending the man. I'm glad, you're, I'm glad, you're, yeah, I'm glad you're bringing this up, by the way, because I did want to ask you about your thoughts and opinions on Iran. Well, uh, the United States of America, and this Meyer published this 16 years ago, has had since 2002 an agenda to invade and control Iran. That has existed. Um, Meyer has also said that if we do attack Iran, Russia and China will probably attack us. So I don't see us fully attacking Iran at this point. We will try to do something, uh, you know, in the time to come, and that will lead to the destruction of our country. I mean, literally, from coast to coast. This is going to be utterly destroyed. It's been explained in the prophecies how we get destroyed and what leads to our destruction and who does it. And yet, even though our intelligence agencies know this material, they know the Meyer material. They keep on pushing because they think they can outsmart it. And when we had our president effectively murder another person in another country who was visiting that country, we terminated our chances of surviving this mess, in my opinion. And I'm not politically partisan. As a matter of fact, I was glad to see Trump win. I thought if, if, if Hillary Clinton won the last election, as Meyer said, we would have had nuclear war in short order. And even the information they published about him, they said, well, you know, too early to tell. He's kind of catastrophic. There will be a phony uh, charge leveled against him about Russian collusion. They published this. You know, they told Meyer this months before uh, Trump was elected. And they said, you know, we don't know how that will play out, but that will be one of the things that will – you know, be done to try to keep him out of office. So the Democrats have actually harmed this country immeasurably with a phony charge when they should have really been running an impeachment on this criminal, you know, attack. Now they can't do it. Probably the impeachment won't succeed. Trump will probably get reelected. And you can kiss your ass goodbye, ladies and gentlemen, because while you're surfing online worrying about imaginary Pardon me, goddamn bullshit, non-existent UFOs and channels and entity and the rest of it. The long foretold prophecies fulfill to your and my detriment and to the detriment of this world because this country was founded on aggression and it will go out. But it will go out because even more powerful forces will come against us when they've had enough. And it's even spelled out. In those Hanak prophecies from years ago, they've been online. We've tried to share this over and over with everybody. But, of course, the Michael Shermers know better. They, you know, these are just, you know, crappy photographs. I was I really I was really stunned, by the way, that Michael Shermer declined my invitation to have some sort of a debate with you and him. It was quite shocking because I thought he would easily take I, you up on that offer. Well, he's a quote-unquote former religious person. I don't know that it's all as former as he thinks. Um, he has very deeply held beliefs. Clearly, he's not a scientist when it comes to this. You make a, a cavalier statement like that to me, I challenge you. I will wipe the floor with you because the evidence wipes the floor with you, Mr. Shermer. But if you want to be on your high horse until the bombs are falling here, well, have a nice friggin' day. 
he and the rest of the crew, the the Center for Inquiry, the James Randies, the Stephen Novellas, and Derek Bartholomew's, they've literally, they've lied, they've twisted things, and they do not have the courage of their convictions, any of them. I've, I wrote to James Randy probably a dozen years ago saying, I will come to your organization and I will stand on the stage and make a presentation with all of anybody you want to have to try and convince your audience that this is a hoax. Take me on. Crickets. Because these people are, they're worse than re- religious zealots. They masquerade as scientists. And in this regard, Michael Shermer, you are a coward. You are masquerading here. And I am more than well equipped to take you apart claim by claim, and let the evidence trounce your very shoddy, pseudo-skeptical attitude, your haughty high horse that you have decided to ride and ride out of town on because you really do no service to the truth, sir. So when you go into something like the Hanak prophecies, which were published in German, in 1987 and had been on my website since 2003. Of course, the other shoe that drops is they were actually written by the prophet Enoch thousands of years ago, and the words have been put in to identify the countries and the parties that they referred to at that time that didn't even exist at that time. Here is is a few little simple sentences. Far in the West, it will be different. The United States of America will be a country of total destruction. The cause for this will be manifold. With its global conflicts, which are continuously instigated by it, and which will continue far into the future, America is creating enormous hatred against itself worldwide in many countries. Listen to these two. As a result... America will experience enormous catastrophes, which will reach proportions barely imaginable to people of Earth. The destruction of the WTC, i.e. the World Trade Center, by terrorists will only be the beginning. Enormous firestorms and gigantic hurricanes will sweep over the USA and bring devastation, destruction, and annihilation as this, from time immemorial, never before will have happened. And it goes on. And we've already seen the beginning of the firestorms here. And yes, in other prophecies, Meyer speaks about the fires that will sweep into other countries and all. But in this document, which is freely available on my website, we even get something like this. Even when the North American continent will be stricken by the most terrible catastrophe which has ever been recorded evil military powers will wreak havoc with computerized and nuclear biological and chemical weapons whereby it will also happen that computerized weapons will become independent and cannot be controlled any longer by human beings. This has been sitting on my website since 2002. It's been sitting in Switzerland and German since 1987. No, Elon Musk and Richard Hawkins and all weren't the first to warn about AI and the computerized weapons and the clones. And we have more on, on all of this. This is what's been suppressed from people, such as this. 
at the same time, the danger could become reality that the human combat machines, the military clones, will gain their independence and under their own management will bring death, devastation, destruction, and annihilation to the human beings of Earth and to the planet. Oh, we can go on and on. By the way, what is your, you what is your opinion on Elon Musk, by the way? I think he's a very bright human being who, unfortunately, I think maybe he's now gone off a little too much into narcotizing his brain. I'm not a fan of uh, of that. Um, but I'll tell you, why, why aren't more people, as they would say about me, angry? Why are people not grasping what this means? In their own lives. It is only a testament to the millennialization of the human brain in the presence of a computer when we get lost in the phantasmagoria that Billy Myers specifically published about 1958. Specifically, we would lose it to the illusions, the illusions of our visual stuff. And and then we trivialize our lives. You know, it's like, I am glad I grew up at a time when human beings used to actually meet with each other. And they had the courage. If they had something to say to somebody, they'd say it to their face. You know, they're, you know this whole thing with the Michael, I forget, Michael, I forget. Every time I talk to you, I forget that you are much older than, oh. than I, you know, initially expected. You sound very <laughs> young, very joyful. Day. You sound very cheerful. You know, Michael, I, I, you know, I've talked to you for so many years. I feel like I could even call you a friend. Yeah. I'm just, I am old. You know, it's very funny. I'm just, I'm pushing 80. Okay. I mean, when I say that, I have to laugh. You don't even I'm sound pushing. anything close to being 80, my friend. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, start reading the spiritual teaching wow. in the Meyer case My and God. watch what happens well, what, with lots of well, What is your secret, Michael? Well, <laughs> good Lord. I, you know, honestly, I've often thought, you know, I've, I've looked at myself as being fragile and, you know, my health. And then I realized I'm not that fragile. I keep on going. You really Let's, do. I mean, God damn, I'm impressed with you, Michael. Well. You know, I've done certain things in my life that I thought at the time would be beneficial, and I still do them because I think they are, and I've learned other things. And somebody's asking here about – I'm looking at your <laughs> chat room. Oh, the chat room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? All I want to say is before we're done tonight, and I'll go as long as you'd like, I do want to address some of those naysayers. We have a, a few that – We really have a lot <laughs> – yeah, we have a lot of YouTube comments to um, address okay, here. <laughs> So if, oh, if people have questions about this, look, if we don't get that we're all in this together, there is a man in Switzerland. Nobody needs to like him. Certainly don't worship him. You don't have to join anything. Don't send your money. He's reclusive. He's brilliant. He's gentle. He's strong. He survived hardships that none of the people that I, nobody could ever endure. And you met, you met this man. I was going to rip up your body. You, you, sorry, met, what? you met this man face to face, correct? 20 times. Okay. 20 for, times. Just for the listeners. So they know. Yeah. Okay. 20 times. And he's just a human being. He certainly 
doesn't have anything pretentious going on, like all these people that think that they can talk about UFOs and stuff. This man has been on these crafts since he's five years old. He doesn't care about it. It doesn't matter. You understand? It doesn't matter. That's not what this is about. It's about us. It's about waking up on this planet while there's still time. If the envi the environmentalists, look, I would consider myself an environmentalist, but I'll tell you something. <laughs> he, the environmentalists of today, and this goes for the young Miss Dunberg as well, they don't have a clue of what the true nature of this the real destruction that is upon us and that will now ceaselessly unfold. Ceaselessly. We're not trying to scare anybody. Right, right. Meyer started 65, 68 years ago trying to wake people up so we wouldn't have this going on. It didn't work out. Everybody knows better. Oh, he makes, you know, it's modeled, these photographs. Oh, it's this. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> go over there. You know, just go over there. That's and one thing that I can, you know, I, I can't exactly say that Billy Meyer is lined 100%. I've never talked to the man myself, so I can't really for sure say that fundamentally uh, for the listeners out there. I think that would be fair to say. Yeah, well, I have never, honestly, I say this to you, I've never found, and I've read thousands of pages and I've spoken to the man for hours. I've never found him to lie about anything. He said to me at times, I don't know, or we can't talk about that now because it's not the time, but he's never lied about a damn thing. And, you know, that's a rough, rough burden to care. Unless, of course, it isn't, which means when you tell the truth, there's nothing to remember, you know, nothing. And I just saw a guy, see, here's, no, Eric, yeah, Eric say, is a, yeah, Eric how much is asking, does yeah, he go take ahead. off his website, mm -hmm. Con? Now, here's a, a man that says something that is not well thought out. First of all, I have contracts with Billy Meyer, seven-year contracts each. I'm in about my second or third contract, whatever it is. And the contract is voluntary. I do it for free. I do all my work on the case for free, those of you that are worried. Do I make money? Yeah. If somebody buys one of the films that I paid to produce or some of the books from Meyer that I pay to import from Switzerland or Australia or whatever, and nobody's arm is twisted. Everything on my blog is free. Everything on the website is free. All the documentaries that have been done, all the interviews, you know, what is the problem? And if if this is the truth, let's just say the Meyer case is 100% truth and it's all real and it's everything I say, would you really, really worry if I was making money? What do you care? I'm giving away everything I can. I, I've given away downloads of films to people. I've I've traveled on my own dime to Canada but for, Mike, for certain kind of sex. But, but Michael, but Michael the, the real question is, can you dance better than Elon Musk? I think I actually can. I used to go uh, with my daughter not too many years ago uh, to do hip hop because I like hip hop. Oh, then you probably and, can dance better than Elon Musk. I mean, yeah. I'm watching him dance now and he looks yeah. atrocious, by the way. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes. not good. But you know what? I, I, he's a oh likable individual and he's a genius. He is. And he brings great things to our world. So, you know, who's perfect? I, I, I like him, like though. For sure. I but do like the guy. I, I do want to take a second 
say this. Go ahead. Sorry. I did an interview, as you know, for another host. Yes, sir. And uh, a guy named Stephen Cambion. That's him. Yeah, Stephen. He's not a researcher. He's a guy that has a chance. He thinks he knows about things that he doesn't know about. I'm I'm not here to personally attack him. I can only say he has continued to attack Billy Meyer, me, the late Wendell Stevens, who's not here to defend himself. And he's lied about virtually everything. He claims that I rest the credibility of the case on Wendell Stevens. And it's not true. Wendell was actually, he did a brilliant bit of work. He brought the case to the fore. But all of these people, all of these people who have come, there are experts from JPL, from NASA, from IBM, from, oh my gosh, and Stephen doesn't talk about them. They've authenticated this case. The independent experts and the people that have done this, it doesn't rest on Wendell Stevens or anybody else. And if he th- thinks Wendell Stevens was a terrible person, he was a pedophile, whatever he thinks, okay, just look at the work he did and evaluate it. Is it accurate or not? This is the problem. I think Stephen put up a two-hour video today. I skimmed through it. All he could do was call names, but he's not an investigator. He's not competent. He's a wannabe who's angry. He, as you know, he wanted to have me debate Cal Corf. I was ready to go and I was going to do it on a show. And then I thought about it. I'm That's one, you know, Michael, I just have to quickly tag on to that, that, uh, you know, during the first uh, portion or first half of the program, I was talking to uh, Charles and I told him that. Most show hosts out there are very, very sensitive. That's one thing I I think a lot of people forget about, that a lot of these people that get behind the microphone and they listen to are extremely sensitive. And myself personally, I don't have that problem. I come from a comedic background. So (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't give a shit about that sort of thing. I love it. I yeah, wrote for songs sure. for Second City in Chicago. I've done stand-up New Age comedy. I was doing it in 1986 and 7 when most of the people who just discovered all this stuff weren't even born yet. Well, you well know, Michael, like- the whole program is an extended bit, to be honest. Say it again? I said this, the, the whole program is an extended bit that I had <laughs> an idea of when I was doing stand-up. There you go. So I'm a failed, I'm a failed comedian. I, I've always been honest about that. Look, I, you know, then you and I, there's certain things we understand if we've been up on a stage, if you've, if you've had to go up there and risk living and dying in front of people and all that. Sure. It's different than hiding behind a persona or strictly, you know, interviews or anything, whether it's a radio station, TV show, uh, online or anything else. These folks like Cambian and all the, they get nasty because they want to be important. And he kept on, he's still lying. He's still saying that I wouldn't debate this Cal Korf character. No, of I course you will. No, of course you will. I don't, I don't disagree with you in a moment or a second. Rather, you would debate anybody at any time, anytime, anytime. What I chose not to do was to debate Korf on Cambian show because he has shown to be un, untrustworthy. He has no integrity. He certainly doesn't know anything about the Meyer case, nothing. And Cal Korf's ridiculous credits are so bad that you'd have to take a half hour to go through 
the bogus stuff. I mean, Cal Corp thinks a woman carries a baby for two years. Uh-huh. He, I mean, <laughs> I, if I posted that on your blog here, what, what his claims are, <laughs> there are websites up on the Internet that laundry list Cal Corp's imaginary credits. The guy is a, a vagabond wannabe, a nothing. He hired a guy to fake Meyer's photos, wrote a book about it, and that's where the whole thing came that Billy Meyer hoaxed his photos. The man who did that hoaxing introduced himself to me in 2006, and he had the courage to come forward. He put an article on my blog about it, and he said, look, I'm sorry. I thought this guy was just saying, what would it look like if if these were hoaxes? And I did these illustrations, and then he puts it out claiming that Billy Meyer did it. People have been lied to. Ladies and gentlemen, the UFO cover-up has only been about the Meyer case. The rest of this TTSA, Navy, Pentagon stuff, that's to keep you chasing your tail. And you've done a good job at it, folks. You attack Billy Meyer, the one real case that you could learn from and learn about, and you follow the other nonsense. Okay. It's kind of been foretold. Very few people in this time, very few people will find the truth. And it will be. It's also foretold that when the prophecies fulfill stone on, then people will know that Meyer was telling the truth. By the way, I, so you, go ahead. I'm by, sorry. By the way, Michael, since we're talking about the UFO community once again, I was very curious what your take was on another very popular ufologist. Uh, Internet Darlene Linda Moen Howe. Oh, know, yeah. <laughs> I've never really talked to you about her before. You know, I did run uh, into her maybe about three years ago. I was staying, I, I went to the Conscious Life Expo and I think my room was maybe three rooms away from hers. And mm-hmm. I was getting out of my room and I saw her in the hallway and she gave me a hug. And mind you, I never met her before. Uh-huh. So I thought that was kind of unusual. And I thought, well, okay, that's nice of her. Yeah, but nice person. very nice woman. Uh, you know, I like Linda, but I've always wondered how legitimate is her claims that she's <laughs> making. I've well, always look, wondered say, about her, and I've always, I've always wondered what your opinion is on Linda right. Moe and how. And of course, I'll bring up another name, but go ahead. Sure, I, I've met Linda. I know her. I could say in that sense. Um, as a matter of fact, I'll say two things. One. The, her thing with uh, abductions and regression, utter nonsense. It, it can't, it's not reliable at all. Uh, you can get occasional, you'll get something that might be a hit for something. You don't even know if it's for your own life. It's, there's no way to verifiably, to, you know, ongoing. Are there things where something, you know, a stopped clock, is it right twice a day? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Here's what happened. When I was in Switzerland in 2006, uh, because the TV crew was over there, and Billy Meyer showed them, among other things, the seven-fingered handprints that were embedded in the finish of a car there. I mean, papillary lines up from elbow to fingertip, seven-fingered handprints. Mm. You know, and we have photographs of it and all that stuff. And Linda Moten House says, oh, can I bring scientists to analyze that? Billy says, well, yes, of course. Tell Linda Moten House she can. Just please don't destroy the car. It belongs to my uh, stepson. Linda Moulton Howe didn't do that, of course, because you see, cattle mutilations, when there are cattle mutilations and when there are uh, abductions, 99% of that at least is secret military to make people afraid of aliens. So she's got a, a, a potato, she's got a cash cow she can milk for the gullible with no evidence, can't prove a damn thing. But when we offered her, she asked for it, 
here, can I come up? Yes, bring whoever you want. Examine these handprints. We have the photos on my website. There's, they're there. She didn't want it because all of these people, I'm sorry, I haven't met any that aren't consciously or otherwise running a con. They don't have evidence. That's called a con. So who's number two? <laughs> Maybe it's somebody I'll agree with. Well, That'd be great. Here, here's the thing. One thing that I did find very interesting was the fact that Linda Moe and Howe was actually taking shots of uh, David Wilcock, if I remember correctly. And I always thought that was kind of interesting. And I'm not really that surprised to hear how David was lifting material from other people. And particularly, uh, he was doing that to Linda Moe and Howe. Yeah, they're turning on each other. There they're is. turning on each other. But David Wilcock, <laughs> from my from my understanding, this is not like the first time this has happened to him. Uh, he was also accused by, and you know, I hate to even say the names, but you know, I'm not scared of any of these people. The thing is, uh, he was also approached by William Henry, if I recall correctly, over material that he lifted from him. Well, it's not surprising. I mean, I personally, I met David uh, actually at the same event in 2006. I'll just tell you the truth right now. You know, I ate, I ate dinner with William Henry and, and his wife, and he told me about David lifting material from him directly. So it's not like it's some bullshit story. Well, the whole Gaia TV thing is a con uh, with people who are very, what's oh, the best way to say it? They're very corporate heavy. Who are deciding to milk the new age thing? You know, uh, just as the new age, yes. uh, about five, four or five years ago, George Norrie flew me out to Boulder to be interviewed by mm -hmm. him, right, uh, for Gaia TV. And when they put up Meyer's photos and films, George Norrie's eyes are just bulging out of his head, and then he starts talking about the prophecies and predictions and how uncanny they are, and blah blah. That episode never aired. Well, why? Why would they air an episode of something real when they have quacks? like David Wilcock and the self-admitted mind control, walking mind control experiment named uh, Corey Good to sell and pump up all this BS oh for my. all the gullible little new agers. So these people are quacks. I know the guy very well who, who co-wrote the book with Wilcock on, on, you know, the reincarnation of Edgar Casey, which Wilcock isn't. Oh, the and, time traveler story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this is why ufology and all this gets a bad name. Deservedly. It's crap. It's BS. There's no, nothing scientific about it. Who's the other guy? I'm dying to know. Well, Corey Good, David Wilcock, they're pretty much some of the prime suspects. Yeah. Well, they're, they're cannibalizing themselves and each other now, so they're going to do a good job of taking themselves down. Isn't that interesting, though, that it, you're watching these um, people fight amongst themselves now? Fight amongst themselves, yes. It's like that Saturday Night Live thing, you know, fight amongst yourselves. Uh, but, yeah, um, this is why – see, if Michael Shermer would deign, deign to, you know, take me on and show me the light and all the rest of it, he would do something, you know, of, he would give some credibility to the skeptics. Not a one of them wants to deal with me. Now, I know that I, I can be a little testy and all of that, but – Good gosh, I've been there. I've been within 20 feet of one of those craft. I've received information forwarded to me through Meyer from the ETs that warned me about the, the Corf scam that he was trying to pull on me in 2009. 
I've been around the block. I know people who've been with uh, witnesses to 14 of the attempts on Meyer's life. This is not what you followed. You know, this is in 53, Meyer was told one of your greatest enemies will be an organization called MUFON. He was told that 16 years before MUFON came into existence. People have no idea what's in here. Yeah, and as Karma Gray says here, not one legit photo from Corey Good. Not one. What? Reptilians and Greys and Dracos and Arcturans. Where do people get off of this nonsense? You see, we have an illusion that we, the average ordinary people on Earth, are so important that some advanced, long-lived, high-tech extraterrestrials are going to come here and hang out with us or want to talk to us or talk through our brain to somebody or even abduct us for our such a, our valuable DNA on our short little lifespans and high-level aggression. Nobody thinks through this crap. They buy it. And the who's behind that? It isn't just Corey Good. This stuff is generated by the intelligence agencies. This started back in the Roosevelt administration when they decided to demonize extraterrestrials because they knew about the crashes and they realized, as they did actually around the time of Woodrow Wilson, when they first saw the unidentified flying objects over the battlefields of Europe, that they better disavow any knowledge of it. They, they, If anything comes to the fore, they will demonize it because no government on earth wants to admit that there are more advanced beings that have independence, that cannot be constrained by any of our religions, politics, military, media, nothing. So what do you do? Well, what you do is you demonize from the get-go and you feed it through the most labile, immature minds possible. The Corey Goods, the David Wilcox, and you help them get real rich. They'll love it. They'll start to believe their own BS. Corey Good and his blue avions. I mean, come on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you gotta love it. So, this is the stuff that, you know, makes me, you know, have some occasional gastric upset. Well, that's what makes me not want to be anywhere near the UFO, um, or I should say ufology, rather, those circles. I'd rather not be affiliated to. Many of these ufologist uh, circles, that's kind of what I want to say here. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- there it is. We've got, you know, just it's utter nonsense. And if people want to ask the question, uh, uh, what, here's the thing that's never asked in ufology. If there really are extraterrestrials visiting this world, what's the reason for it what's the reason that a truly highly advanced group of beings you can let's call them for right now extraterrestrial some people want to say interdimensional but we're we're getting over our heads by thinking we know what we're talking about we don't when we start talking about extraterrestrials extradimensionals interdimensional we don't even we we don't know anything. Why do we go there? It's yes, it's interesting, but it's taking us away from what would the reason be? Why would this also then be attacked? Because it's trying to show us that we are living in a terribly enslaved 
consciousness. Thank you, religion. Thank you, politics. Thank you, military, industrial, warmongering consciousnesses. And all of this stuff about all these civilizations and all these aliens. Forget it. You can't do, we can't do anything with UFOs. That's the eye candy. They got our attention. The controversies, right? But what are we going to do with that? Ask about the reason. Start to ask because then you'll get the important answers, something you can work with. You cannot work with any of this other stuff. And none of these people babbling online, babbling at UFO expos, know a goddamn thing. Nothing. And that's why you won't find the Meyer case there because it empties the room. If somebody says, well, this is real and the rest of it isn't, they're either going to expel them like they did me or the people are going to go, well, let's go see that. I, I think I probably told a story about the judge that came up, retired judge that came up to the table that I had in 2013, believe it or not, at a MUFON event. They invited me to have a table. And the guy's head swiveling left and right. No, no, no. This has got to be a hoax. Got to be a hoax. Got to be a hoax. Well, what do you do, sir? I'm a retired judge. So I said to him, well, can I step into your courtroom, Your Honor? Yes, you can. What can I do for you? He glared down at me. I said, well, Your Honor, you know that NASA said they discovered that the surface of the planet Mercury is contracting because of the iron core. But a friend of mine in Switzerland, he published that 32 years before they did. Would I have to prove that to you? He said, well, of course you have to prove it to me. So I said, well, here's a book. Let's open it. You see the date on the copyright, Your Honor? Yeah. Okay, well, let's go a little farther in the book. Do you see this where this guy, Billy Meyer, says, I always wanted to know what the reason for the contraction of the surface of the planet Mercury, and an alleged extraterrestrial woman says, well, it's easy. It's because of the metal core of the planet. Who prevails in your courtroom, Your Honor, I said to him respectfully. He looked down at me, he furrowed his brow, he took a breath, and he said, you do, how much is the video, how much is the book, give me all this stuff, and he bought it all and walked away. That's the way it works in the real world of science and standards and legal things like copyrights. Imagine if all these lovely people, exopolitics, absolute lunacy doesn't exist, no such thing, the extraterrestrials aren't interested in our mind-enslaving, dumb, conflict-oriented politics, which creates the problems it then pretends to solve. What if we learned how real life is meant to work, how thinking works, how cause and effect works, how love and peace and freedom and harmony aren't boring things at all? Instead, we now have a, you know, aging billionaire who only wants to get his way at any expense. So, as my article of December 26th foretold, we would have Wag the Don where he would launch a war. He would start something. He'd attack somebody. It's on my blog. It's right up there. The day after Christmas, I basically predicted it because it doesn't take a genius. All you have to do is start thinking in terms of cause and effect. How does this work when you're a completely self-centered, megalomaniacal fraud who spoke many of the right things for people, they confused the right things with the wrong man. And now, folks, 
it's too late because you ain't going to reverse this one. This is going to bring us down. Yeah. I, I mean, one way or the other. Yeah, where, where do you see society heading in the next, um, let's just say, two years? Our society in this country? Yes, sir. Well, I would say that now that I'm no longer laughing about, I mean, I'm laughing, not laughing about, I'm laughing about now it's not time to laugh about <laughs> civil war. Um, yes. That's that's coming. We're in the early stages of it, clearly. And, uh, you know, there are many people that are feeding this. For instance, Alex Jones, he's got some stuff on there, you know, he could publish some stuff that's right or gets it beforehand, but he, he's churning. He's He's just pushing one way or another. He wants to polarize people and demonize people so that we can bring around civil war. And then, oh, that's great. That's how I see that. So, what I see is the society, our society, as more and more jobs are lost, as the economy starts to become more apparently on a downturn, as people, those that can see it, you know, there's a really good uh, economic uh, and financial news writer named Bill Bonner. He's an expat. He has a residence in Baltimore, but he also lives in Argentina and in France. And this guy is lovable because He's a guy that does his own work in his homes with his own hands and his family. And he's a multimillionaire and he just tells it like he sees it. He's one of the people that's virtually echoing what Meyer's foretelling about this financial collapse. Meyer told, I think I may have told you this in 2006, I'm in Switzerland. I say to Billy, Billy, so was the Iraq war fundamentally about oil? And he's very precise with his words. He says, no, it was not fundamentally about oil. It was fundamentally about your dollar. And if things go a certain way, you may as well roll cigarettes with your paper money. So what's coming, Michael and friends, we will have a global financial crash. And what Billy Meyer recently in the last two, three years or so published was that the U.S. government will turn the military and the police against the citizenry here. And the way he termed it was against the partly heavily armed populace. And the American people will be dispossessed. Dispossessed. And whether that's under the leadership of this dimwit, Trump, yeah, I'm or somebody else who gets in there who will be equally controlled. You know, all the, I have friends that were writing me and carrying on about Trump is going to drain the swamp and yeah. get rid of the deep state, right? I'm surprised and you. you well, what exactly happened, uh, Michael? You seem to be very high on Trump. What happened? Well, you know, I was kind of neutral about it. I wrote before the election, I considered him a buffoon, but I read the stuff from Meyer and I thought, well, maybe their perspective that the guy could do some good stuff. He could create a detente with Russia. He could get rid of the TTP thing, you know, the uh, the whole bad economic thing, which sure. I think he did. But then he pulls out of the Iran deal. He's he's reversed a hundred environmental regulations. He, you know, he's gone out of the Paris Accord. Oh well, we're number one, aren't we? We can do anything we want. We can spit in the world's face. Well, that's because you don't know the truth of things. And Trump could could care less. Trump's about Trump and. Most people that are in politics are about themselves primarily. I wrote in my article, 
that, you know, people are stupid because they elect people whose primary goal is to become millionaires during their time in office if they aren't already and to when they exit government to be multimillionaires. And that's what happens with most of these parasites. Now, there are people that I, you know, I think I like Rand Paul. I think I heard you mention him. Sure. I like Tulsi Gabbard for what she stands for. None of these are perfect people. None of us are perfect people. But this woman is telling the she's at least done what Trump has, and she's been in the service. What about Marianne Williamson, by the way? Marianne Williamson? <laughs> yes. She just, did you say, she dropped out. She dropped I met out. Her, I knew her in L.A. briefly, lightly. Uh, you know, more of the, pardon me, hyper-happy, hyper-positive, delusional, new-age nonsense. Oh, yes. That oh, doesn't yes. want to see things as they are. But I do like her, though, even though she's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, she's, well, she's, a, she's a nice, nice woman. Yes, yes. And I, you look, I met many nice people in my sojourn <laughs> yes. to the new age. Of and course. Lots of <laughs> nutcases, but, uh, you know, it's like we are in the long foretold times now, Michael. That's true. We are in. If anybody here ever read the predictions of Jeremiah, and they took it to heart, they would have to spend a lot of time in the bathroom. This was another one of the original prophet contactees, as Enoch was, as Elijah was, as Jeremiah and Emmanuel, the real person upon whom the fake personality of the non-existent Jesus Christ was based, and even Muhammad, whose teaching was also falsified. We know nothing about our true history. It's been written, you know, the history we have written by the victors, as they say. Very true. And by the way, Michael, just to get this question out of the way, Ian Alberto in the chat room says, I have fell out of love with Trump and realize he is a Zio hate. But can you ask guest, would he have preferred Clinton or a revolution in general? Go ahead, Michael. No, uh, I, Clinton, you know, it's very funny, Clinton. I'll just tell you this about it. In 2008, when Obama and Clinton were vying for the nomination, Meyer asked the player, and this was a very interesting moment. Hey, well, he asked, who's going to, you know, win the nomination? They said, well, fortunately, it's going to be Barack Obama because Hillary Clinton, the country and the world is fortunate that power will never be laid in her hands. That power that she seeks will never be hers because she would nuclear war. She is a destructive psychopath of the first water. Now, I'm not talking about whether people like Obama or not. This was the warning at that time. She will never have power. Now, that went beyond the answer that, well, Meyer should have been given because they are usually very cut and dry. You ask the question, you only get the answer. Would it have been Obama will win the nomination? But they went past it. And they said, the world is fortunate that this woman, she will walk over the corpses of people to get what she wants. And the world is fortunate. So we may unfortunately come to the same end because despite all of the drain the swamp and deep state this and QAnon that, the biggest delusional idiocy, QAnon nonsense. But despite all that, <laughs> Trump is now effectively doing exactly what the deep state would have him do. So is he really any different or is he actually part of it? He's not an altruist. He's not 
you know, a humanitarian. He's a friggin' billionaire. He didn't get there by being nice. And I happen to know somebody personally. I've known the guy for 45 years who personally did a business deal on behalf of Coldwell Banker with Donald Trump some years back. A lot of this feels like we're back in 2003, to be honest. (laughs) Well, I tell you, uh, it's. Politics makes people stupid. It I have really a video does. About it, that. it really does. You're not wrong about that. It makes people stupid. They become paralyzed. They cannot think outside of their partisanship. So, you know, if somebody comes along, look, Donald Trump came along. I'm not partisan. So I can look at what he's saying and say, well, that thing would be good. But if you're a part, if you're a Democrat, you can't say that. And if you're a Republican and somebody on the left says something good, you can't agree with it you because you've been reduced to a quivering mass of, of, of crap. You have crap for brains. It's a bit, you can't think. It's, it's a, it's a bit tribalistic. Oh, it's worse than that. I mean, okay. It's tribalistic. It's just bad enough. Well, a lot people of people out there, I, I could even try to even maybe sum it up this way where it seems like lots of people, always want to like let's say belong to something like let's for for an example let's use like an nfl team there's some people out there who are so uh, deeply involved with this sort of thing and and they will even tell you my we lost today like in reference to their favorite yeah. team i mean it's, it's it's no different than that that's right the, the people you know the whole mentality it's so weird sports fan fan addict mentality this is always from people who don't have a life. Exactly. They don't accomplish anything themselves. And it's the same with, you're right, politics, sports, you know, religion, our God is on our side. And Oh, really? My God is better than your God, yeah. That's it. It's it's a very strange universe that we live in, of course, Michael. Yep, well, it's the only way right now. I'm glad we're having this talk, though. Well... You know, we got to get, look, people have got to get real with each other. You are, we're not in Kansas anymore. We don't, yeah, for sure. (laughs) We are, there are things coming from very specific volcanic eruptions that threaten the lives of 20 million Americans living across the eastern seaboard. It's that threaten the lives of the many hundreds of thousands and even millions of people living great northwest down the west coast from very specific volcanoes and earthquakes that will accompany them and tsunamis that Meyer predicted, that years later scientists think they've predicted, but we've had it on our website for years before the scientists discovered these threats. Italy will be racked by eruptions of five major volcanoes, which subsequent after the warnings from Meyer's teacher about the earthquakes that would start there in 2015-2017, which then occurred, now those volcanoes have started to become active. People, you might want to start paying a little attention to this stuff for whatever reason. If you value your life, if you value truth, if you want to know what's real in this world, Because 90% or more of what you're getting is delirious delusion, disinformation, and distraction. And then you get the the quacks like the Stephen Cambians and the Cal Corps who, you know, I got to say one more thing about Stephen. He literally, in his video, complained 
that I sent him hundreds of pages of evidence. He said, what, am I supposed to read this stuff? And then he goes on to attack the case of that <laughs> being true. And having, I mean, this is what the crazy making of these little amateur uh, wannabes that are trying desperately to, to be something that they're not. They're insignificant. And they want to do this. So they go out and they pollute the waters. They defame people. Guy complains about my sending him all the evidence. This is what I do. This is why Michael Shermer, please come a little closer. I will even, if you want to prepare for our debate, I'll give you everything that I would discuss. I wouldn't, there's no, no gotcha. And that's why Michael Shermer not going to accept this gentle invitation, nor will any of his compatriots in skepticology land. They're afraid. They're believers. They're true believers that they know what reality is and that nothing outside of what they believe can exist or be true. Eh. History will not look kindly on that mentality. Honestly. I'm still shocked that he declined. Well, you can listen. You can say, hey, why don't you listen to the segment here with little Michael Horn? Because, you know, I'm going to tell you this right now, Michael. I am far more scientific than Michael Shermer. Certainly in this area, he will exceed me in whatever area is his true expertise, because this isn't it. And I will run circles around him. I will do some of these, you know, three stooge things and (laughs) fingers in the eyes. Right. With a lot of love because Michael Shermer simply needs to be educated. He needs to man up. You can try to call me whatever names you want, Michael Shermer. But, you know, if you why don't you just take the five minutes you think would work to dismiss me here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it ain't going to work out like that for you. We have people who far exceed your expertise. And I happen to now be one of them just accidentally. And by the way, there's lots of other people because they've simply spent the time to vet this information. You know, I love rubbing. I am the world's leading authority on UFOs. Well, George Norrie said I was, and I agree with him. What does that mean? It just means that none of these people can, can put anything on the table. And I've got better credentials because I've dedicated my time to something that's real and that's many other people. I, I know people I think know more about it. There are a lot of the Swiss and Germans. They're not running around doing this stuff. They're, they're studying. There are a couple brothers I know in Austria. They're physicists. Meyer walks out one day with a page full of mathematical computations he did for them because he understands stuff. Little Michael Shermer is not quite ready for yet. And I tell you, I'd sit down with Michael personally. I happen to like stuff he said. But he made the mistake here. He made the mistake of doing a little dissing thing on something that he's just not even remotely qualified to be dismissive about. And he can't, he won't fare well in an exchange with me, unless he approached it like this to say, you know, this is interesting. How do you explain this? What about that? This this looks suspect. How can you explain that? And this thing that where you claim that Meyer published this information about Mars 20 years before NASA, can you really prove that? 
Thank you, Michael. I'd be glad to answer that for you, and I'll show you how you can verify that for yourself. This is where we should be spending our time in so-called ufology if we really want to get out from under the finger of the secret military and intelligence agenda to keep this information suppressed. It's now the, the, the genie is out of the bottle, you know. Hey, by the way, I'm in very good health. My heart's strong. I don't suffer from suicidal tendencies now that I'm saying all this because I haven't said this stuff in any other show. You know, you and I are chatting, Michael. That's true. I don't know if any of these out there. We're on stage together. You know, we're doing our act. We are. And that's, yeah, and that's that's fine because I welcome, I welcome, why can't we find an educated skeptic who at least the scientific is going to say, I want to take this on. All I have to say is, why can't we be friends? <laughs> it's true. I mean, why can't we be friends, Michael? Why can't we well, be friends with Michael Shermer? I could be friends with that guy anytime because I like him. I'm telling you the truth. I can disagree. See, this is the thing about ufology, too, and, and so-called exopod, all this stuff. <laughs> in the real world, in the world, even I think politics is delusional, but in politics, science, anything else, people can disagree with each other and do so vehemently and vociferously and aggressively, and they can still be not not taking it personally. They're not attacking the person. They're attacking that expression of well whether it's credibility or lack of it the claims of the science or the pseudoscience of it they're saying i challenge you. you ever watch one of those debates in british parliament oh my gosh those people they don't hold back like the wimps that we have in government those oh, people are calling know. each other out all over the place hey sir I, and they put it out there i can put it out there about michael Shermer. i think he's seems to be a a lovely person, if I may sound corny. <laughs> now, Michael, Honestly, we, now, Michael, we have. Writer. He's got a nice. Uh, he seems to have something nice about him, right? But he, in this regard, he's way out of his league. That's all I'm really trying to say. He's That's out okay. of his league. That's okay. And of course, Michael, we are about thirty minutes out here before we have to shut this down. And okay. now it's time to address some of these lovely comments. And of course, we won't go over all of them. There's about two hundred of them. On oh, YouTube. good. Anything you want. Yeah, there's about 200 comments, a little bit over 200. And one of them oh, comes from a gentleman by the name of Oliver, who I'm sure you've had the pleasure of reading some sure. of his uh, messages on YouTube. Um, I'm not going to read his entire message here because it's many, right. many paragraphs long. But Oliver says, what's so utterly stupid about the Meyer case is the fact that we have no photos, films of the alleged aliens and no photos, <laughs> films of the inside of the spaceships or one taking off slash landing. Why wouldn't the aliens show themselves and give an interview in front of the camera question mark? Why don't we have tangible proofs question mark extraordinary claims do demand extraordinary evidence. And the fact that we don't have any such tangible proofs is because it's not true. It's a fabrication of Myers deranged mind for the purpose <laughs> of reinventing another religious cult also, the 23 attempts on Billy Liar's life, uh, that's what he said, not Billy Meyer, Billy Liar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> life have been documented and substantiated. Presidents were assassinated successfully with an armada of agents around them. Michael, your response. Sure. Well, 
I know who this person is. Uh, well, I shouldn't really say that. I think I know the real identity. Uh, some years ago, this person was known. Uh, there were video and all this stuff identifying him as a man named uh, Silvio Santini. Right. Now, yeah, and he had been a magician, of, uh, a, of a com- maker of film commercials and stuff. He Once we called him out, he started – using screen names such as Oliver, Magic, Joe Weiss, Aaron Friedman, and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. And this is, apart from the man being mentally very disturbed, it's okay. But you see, when you start moving the bar, it means you don't understand things that are exceed your own intelligence. So you say, well, it would only be real and true if they did this. Well, oh, they did that. Okay, then if they did that. See, this is, we don't get that we're not dictating the terms in this case. We go back to 1964. Meyer produced, presented photographic evidence. He talked about his experiences. He's been consistent all his life. He's taken over 1,200 clear UFO photos, daytime, nighttime films. They've been analyzed independently. Nippon TV, Jim Delatosa, whatever people, nobody ever specifically gives you why all these independent analyses aren't right. So this guy... He concocts all these other reasons. Well, where are the aliens? We are so prone to look outside ourselves for heroes and saviors. We've done it with religion. We do it with politics. So in this case, we get the most unlikely human being as a conduit. Uh, By the time we discovered this man, he's a late middle-aged, one-armed, gray-bearded, pot-bellied, so-called Swiss farmer. He's no farmer. He's a little more than that. He's a soft-spoken, plain-spoken man who publishes his information and his evidence and says, do with it what you want. He does something that is extremely unusual for any hoax. He freely gives, he offers all of his evidence for independent examination. The films and photos, the metal samples, which went to IBM, the sound recordings analyzed by four different sound labs, including our naval undersea lab. People like this non-existent Oliver Silvio or whatever he is, they've never gone through. They don't understand. They can't produce 12 photographs that would, would you know, pass muster. So these kind of challenges don't make sense. They are immature. They are the angry, envious, delusional, and hate-filled consciousness of people who have for whatever reason attached themselves to attack this man and his evidence and go crazy about it they follow me all over they you know whatever and they they've even said okay billy meyer took photos of a garbage can well there's a somebody who went on to uh video where this guy was making these claims and he said because this has long been explained but it's not good enough for all the ranters and and the person said to him Please produce that garbage can lid, you know, and show that it was actually manufactured prior to when Meyer took his photos. Because here's the kicker. It wasn't. It was manufactured after Billy Meyer had taken 64 photographs of that craft. This is the stuff, honestly, people would be rolling on the floor, holding their heads, going, what the heck? Really? Yeah, really. By the way, there is a positive message here from Local Machine. He commented, Michael Horn rocks. I signed up for the course Ah. trial, too. First four lessons free. 
Yeah. I've sent out two, so far two free lessons on my home study UFO course where people can just start on their own to try and figure this out. And, you know, if there's, you, if you have anything like 199 more questions or challenges or attacks, let's do as many of them as we can. Jamie B I'm says, yes, Jamie B in a comment says, I love the space gun Meyer was allowed to hold and shoot through the non or through the now non-existent tree. Not true. Here's the thing. You see, here's the thing to say about the skeptics, and maybe it'll interest you. Not a one of these people has taken the trouble to take their butts to Switzerland. None of them One have. of the re right. remnants of that tree is still there. They've even put a really nice, strong plexiglass around it. Now, I was there. As I say, I've been going there 20 years, so I could stick my finger into the damn tree. See, people want to attack. This is the ignorance. This is the small-mindedness. Billy Meyer claims he was given this laser gun. There's a film of him handling it. No, he doesn't shoot it in the film. There's photographs of the alleged extraterrestrials holding it, but you can't see their faces. Oh, my gosh. It can't be real. Oh, they. Oh, it's really a toy. No. The extensive investigation conducted in Switzerland and in the U.S. showed that there is no toy gun that actually duplicates that one. Sorry. See, these People, if you will, whoever they are, are unfortunately, and they don't intend to, they're making fools of us. They show that we don't know how to think. We can't research. We don't even go into the research that's done and try, come to understand it. We want to hate this man, Billy Meyer. We want to accuse him of drilling a hole an oval hole through a 12-inch thick tree that's smooth as glass all the way through because a laser beam did pass through it and singed everything in a forest for as far as the, the investigators could walk. But no, see, they're all wrong. They're all liars. They, 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 they. And did you ever go to Switzerland, Mr. Mr. whoever you are? Well, no, of course not. Why should I go there? I know he's hoaxing. Well, I've been there 20 times. And you, my friend, are a parasite for attacking a man you don't know, for evidence you do not understand, and have never examined yourself. That's actually question you. By the way, Michael. That, by the way, Michael. That's actually what Linda Moe and Howe referred to uh, David Wilcock as a parasite. Well, I'm not going to argue with you there. I was <laughs> just say Linda's a nice lady. She's you know running her own little act. Yeah, she's she, all right. She's all right. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. The, the next comment we have here is from a uh, Tara Rubicon who says, Michael, <laughs> Horn <laughs> right. Michael Horn's crazy cult leader, Billy Meyer is Jesus Christ reincarnated. Really? <laughs> Meyer also claims to have found the real Bible, which magically displays the same religious mumbo jumbo Meyer advocates, but then the real Bible got lost. Still translations were made by a guy who disappeared. Anyway, you can buy the Bible for only $65 on Michael Horn's website. Okay. Tara <laughs> Rubicon is a guy named Edward Fisher or Edward Visser or Visser. He's a Dutch guy who is, look, I know who these people are. He is a fanatic about a guy named George Adamski. Adamski's a guy, for those that don't know, that was uh, showing so-called UFO photos and films back in the 40s, 50s, whatever. 
And he was busted by Meyer and the extraterrestrials who explained how he did the films and some other people who've actually gone online and shown how he made his films because they weren't of extraterrestrial craft. As a matter of fact, the only possibility other than his hoaxed photos was that he may have photographed uh, a craft that some of the Germans had, a Nazi craft. That's possible. But let's go to the claims that Terra Rubicon the guy just use your real name Edward just be who you are it's so okay first of all he used the word cult and a lot of these people throw that word around now what is a cult a cult is an organization where people gather around a you know in close to infallible figure with whom they do not disagree whose orders they take whose they pay obeisance to to whom they give their money and their belongings and the rest of it, uh, for whom they go out and try to solicit members. This is very important stuff because every one of the people that hurls this accusation tells you where they're at. The Swiss government has granted Billy Meyer's publishing group, which is what it effectively is, called FIGU, F-I-G-U. It's a German acronym. They've granted them the true nonprofits. You know, status and Germans, pardon me, the, the Swiss and finances, that's a very tightly regulated field. That's what they're known for. They don't just go out there and let everybody, you know, run a so-called nonprofit and be in, in reality some kind of a cult. Billy Meyer doesn't have a cult. I haven't found it. Nobody ever solicited me. No one's asked me to solicit anybody. The people I know there don't do that. Billy Meyer and his group of let's say right now there's maybe 39 or 40 people when they have meetings and they vote on things guess what billy meyer has one vote he doesn't have 39 votes do people ever disagree with billy yes they do this is a very lively task that goes on over there and i laugh because the poor people this poor guy wants george adamski to be real because edward Rubicon had a sighting of a UFO. I don't take that away from him. Many of us have sighted UFOs. That and 650 gets you maybe a, a Starbucks. So Edward is all about, well, George Adamski was a real contact. George Adamski claimed he was meeting with people from Venus, bringing temperatures on Venus. Nobody's living on Venus, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and no valiant Thor was an extraterrestrial who decided oh, no. to meet. Well, I mean, this is the mentality. This is why ufology is such a bogus field. I'm sorry. I don't even want to get into that story, but yes, that's um, yeah, that's a bit of a stretch. It, the, the it's, next- <laughs> it's all cuckoo stuff. So Edward can say what he wants. Does Meyer claim to have published the German and subsequently English translation of the original teaching of the man that we call Jesus Christ, a, a person who for whom there's zero history, didn't exist, but who was called Emmanuel. Yes, that's what Meyer says. Here's the translation. And uh, interestingly enough, several years back, it attracted the attention of a professor from Oregon State, comparative religion, also meteorology, by the way. And he said, ah, this must be a Bible hoax, when the first English translation came out. So he got the book, and he spent about a year, year and a half, and then he came out with his own book called Celestial Teachings. And he says, this thing, the Talmud Emmanuel, according to my reckoning and analysis, is the original document upon which the book of Matthew is based. 
not the other way around. It resolves over 325 inconsistencies in Matthew, 150 of which weren't even known when this book was first published in German and subsequently in English. He said, and his book was brilliant. He went sentence by sentence through the whole thing. That's something, of course, that Edward uh, Terra Rubicon didn't do. Yes. I knew this man. You know, James Deardorff was a really lovely person. Or he was a scholar. He was a biblical scholar. He didn't believe everything about the case, but he then went and did further in-depth investigation even into the UFO part of it. He did investigation into the, the photos of Myers because he had friends who were, who were forestry experts up in Oregon State University. He took some of Myers' photos where the UFO is at the tree. He sends them to these guys. And he says, fellas, forget about the silver thing. Are those models like miniature trees? You know? And everybody writes back and says, oh, no. Yeah, and they told him, that's an Abies this or Albies that of fir, this and Norwegian fir. And they told him what the species of tree was and why. Why they were real trees. Things like the following. Well, here's the notice the pruning marks down here below this. Well, that's consistent with where they pr and up here this thing with this wild haircut look at the top. That's what's called nesting. When the branches of this these aren't model trees. Nobody makes model trees like these. They don't make bonsai trees like these. And anybody with half a functioning brain can look and say, "Wait a minute." <laughs> you know, the clouds in the sky even parts of the tree, they're reflecting in the surface of this friggin' thing. Meyer's taken nine photos of this going around the tree. What kind of models? What are we talking about? They're real trees. But you see all the armchair experts, they know this is, these are models, they're miniature trees. This is what's so painful about this ugly field. Yes. Now we have 15 minutes now here, Michael. So we must take me, run me through them as fast as you yes. want. And I'll make my arguments, uh, no answers problem, no as problem. short as you want. Mad guy says he should disable his live chance. These people are retarded that post in them. Oh, I see what he's saying. I, I think we're going to edit this part out here, Michael. <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Whatever. I'm joking. Don't worry. And the, the uh, next um, comment here is from uh, Punt in poll who says, I think Billy Meyer should make the next 12 Star Wars movies. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a quick comment on that. I think I once commented this guy. When you read the histories of the various extraterrestrial races that have been here, I mean, in-depth stuff, and the history of the Play Aaron people, how screwed up they were before they got peace 50,000 years ago, Star Wars on steroids, the real stuff, that it, it's beyond Star Wars. All I will tell you, and we've got it all free online. Read, people. Learn. Question. Challenge. Find out. Okay, next. Yes, this next one says, get a job, Michael. You spend hours talking about how right Meyer was about so many things he said in the past, but not so much about his predictions or prophecies of the future. Exa yes. Example, he says, example, he was taken to the future to see Los Angeles, or was it San Francisco destroyed? There is supposedly a photograph of the destroyed city with cars that have no side mirrors on them, thus right. suggesting a time when cars have an inside the vehicle camera to view the back traffic. So why was this shown to Meyer by his space friends? Ah, to save lies, if this was, if this is the case and you have 
such conclusive proof that Meyer and Space Friends all have an obligation to say in this timeline, on this date, on uh, of an earthquake of yeah, sure. question mark on the Richter scale, <laughs> uh, devastated Los Angeles and area. No mumbo jumbo right, right, about right. we can't alter okay. the timeline. Let, Go ahead. Let me tell you what happened with this. And it's real. This is another person wants to make demands instead of using what's left of their brains to think, to think, learn to think. Here's how it goes. In 1978, Wendell Stevens and Lee and Britt Elders and their team and uh, went to Switzerland to start investigating this case. Lee and Britt Elders were skeptics, high-level professional private investigators, telecommunication and counter-espionage people. They were not like this guy, an amateur wannabe who's going to make demands. But they did think that it was possible that the case was a big fraud and a hoax, and they didn't want to see Wendell taken for a ride because it wouldn't be on a flying saucer. So they're over there, and they did this over a period of eight, ten years, back and forth, questioning, investigating everything. And one day in 78, they're sitting around the kitchen table in Switzerland, and Myers says something about the San Francisco earthquake, and they said, you mean the one in 1906? And he says, no, no, the one that's coming. He said, what the heck are you talking about? Right. He says, I'll be right back. He goes out of the room, brings back one of those Kodak yellow folders that those of us that are old enough to remember had photographs in them. Takes out 11 photographs and spreads it on the table. A number of Swiss people are there. The investigative team is there. And um, they're looking. They're passing these photos around. And Wendell wrote a whole thing. We've got it on the website. It's all free. He says these were photographs. They weren't drawings. They weren't paintings. They weren't photographs of drawings or paintings. These were San Francisco. I've been to San I know San Francisco. Here's this building and that. And they're uh, clearly the city. There's a lot of distress here. There's smoke. There's fires. Buildings have cracked. They're falling into each other. We're trying to figure out when this would happen. And Billy says, I am not allowed to tell you the date. I'm sorry. I just am not allowed. And they said, OK, well, we're, we're looking and we're looking at the cars and the cars have. Some of them have glass that go all the way from, you know, the windshield up into the roof, the whole roof line. Some, it's just a big glass front windshield, but not all the way. And a lot of them don't have the side view mirrors outside. They don't look like the cars of today, 1978, those boats. You know, and a lot of them are rounder, like the Beatles, and a lot of roundedness. And okay, then Billy gets in trouble, allegedly, with the ETs who said, you weren't supposed to show this to anybody. They take the photos. That's convenient for the skeptics. So rather than realize, you stupid, you know what, <laughs> that yes. now Toyota and Mercedes and Nissan and Tesla and everybody else is about to go to the cars that don't. How would Wendell Stevens 42 friggin' years ago come up with that? Crap for brains, earthlings. These people. Can't, they don't want the responsibility of telling us the date because gosh knows when that thing, ha then they'll be blamed. Oh, you see, there really are ETs and they did it. I mean, whatever. You don't believe it's true. You don't think the Myers case is real. That's fine. You don't want to pay attention to maybe, hmm, when there's a lot of them cars on the road, it might be time to leave Marin, you know, or even LA because that's going to be one hell of a quake. That's true. It's going to destroy San Francisco. Right. And Michael, as we wrap things up here uh, very shortly, we only have about 10 minutes. If you were face to face with people like David Wilcock, uh, Emery Smith, uh, uh, what's the other guy's name? Corey Good. Corey Good. 
Um, we're missing but, another Jordan guy. Slather Jordan Slater and Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar. If, if, yeah. if you're in a room with all these individuals and they were, yeah. they, they had a chance to hear you say just a few words, what exactly would you tell these group of enlightened souls? Well, I would say, you know, guys, I think that you've done a huge disservice to humankind by all of the lies that you've disseminated. None of you, as you know, have any actual proof or evidence. You've done this to profit, to, you know, to fill your egos up or for, for celebrity status and for financial gain. And you've done something that's really dishonest. You're, you've done a disservice to humankind. You, do I have a trouble saying to your faces that you're liars? No, I don't. But you know what? The most important thing is you will have to deal with your own consciousness because you're already realizing that you're cannibalizing yourselves and each other as your frauds are collapsing in on you. And that's punishment enough. I'm not here to harm you, but I have no compunctions about calling you out for the liars and frauds you are. Now, where do we go from there? Pass the coffee. I don't know. Amazing. Well, Michael, as always, it's been an interesting time with you. Always an honor and pleasure to sit down and talk with you about the Billy Meyer, the Billy Meyer contacts and some of his prophecies that are quite fascinating, no doubt. And of course, I'm glad you took the time to address some of the naysayers out there. I thought that was quite interesting. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, I have no problem with that. And I would, before I forget, I'd like to say that if at any point you'd like to get together those elements, whether it's the photos or other things that you have a problem with, I would be delighted to try to just give you my, you know, whatever information. Sure, sure. I'd be delighted. And it That's also fine. goes for your audience. And I answer all email. And if anybody wants to write me, especially those people who are worried about my income and say that they heard this interview here, I'll send them a free DVD download. No obligation, nothing to buy. They don't even have to thank me. Just send me something with their, your email address and say Michael Decon or end of days. And I'll pick one of my award-winning films and I'll send it to you. That's it. Nothing else. Very nice. Once again, Michael, thank you so much for being a part of the program. Uh, please feel free to uh, plug anything you'd like. And of course, any final words, the floor is yours, Michael. Go ahead. Okay. I invite people to go to my blog, theyflyblog.com. Also go to my website, which is more old-fashioned, but full of information, theyfly.com. Read the my blog, I have over 920 blog articles I've written. I've got 100 or 200 on my website. I answer all emails, questions, challenges. I've got a YouTube channel with a bunch of videos, award-winning films and all that stuff. You don't have to buy anything. Just start to think because you're going to want to be able to better navigate life in this these coming years. Uh, things are going to change a lot for everybody. So let's prepare ourselves, not only with food and ammunition, all the rest. That's fine, too. Let's learn how to think and come together with like-minded people, help each other through these coming times. And that's for love, peace, freedom, harmony, and all that corny stuff that the Meyer case is really about. So I thank you all. Yeah, Thank you so much, Michael, for being here. It's been tremendous as always, my friend. My pleasure. And anytime, let's do it again. All right, my friend. We will definitely do this again in the near future. Take care, Michael, and mahalo. Mahalo, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That was the one and only Michael Horn. 
That was tremendous. And of course, as we take it home here tonight, I have to say thank thank you all, by the way. Thank all of you out there for joining me this lovely evening. It's been tremendous. And of course, those in the chat room, I hope you stick around for next week's program. I do believe we will have Mr. Kevin Moore from uh, his radio show. I think it's called The Kevin Moore Show. I remember correctly. And of course, remember, you can get a hold of me during the program via Twitter. If you're not in the chat room, that is the at Michael Deacon. Send me a message there and I will try to answer it. Don't forget, if you are a fan of the program and want to help fund the program, I would appreciate that. Best way to do that is if you sign up for Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And of course, this is for all the hardcores out there. Plenty of material is on its way. I believe an interview with Oli Damagard is on the horizon. That, of course, is if I change my mind and let that one be a free show for all of you. We'll find out soon enough. Now, once again, if you want to help the program, patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Now, I would love it if you would sign up. It's worth it. International listeners out there, thank you so much for your support as well. It's been a top talent show yet again. What does the future have in store for all of mankind? I sure as shit don't know, folks, but this has been a fun ride. It certainly has. There's nothing more frightening than reality. I enjoy saying that. I hope all of you out there a very good rest of your weekend. I hope all of you out there very well. Friend and foe, I'm Michael Deacon. I hope you enjoyed my act of defiance, arrogance, and intransigence once again. Stay safe, folks. No matter where you are on this pale blue dot. And of course, with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Oh, 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 oh,